This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Happy Monday. Hope you had a nice Mother's Day if you're a mom or if you have a mom. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about what we did for Mother's Day weekend a little bit later. But I got big news for you. Have you seen what's coming up in today, Monday's edition of the New York Times front page above the fold? Have you seen this? Oh, this is going to be big. Uh, This is going to be something you're going to be talking about all day at work today. Are you ready for this? This is a five-page expose on the uh, sexuality of our 15th president, James Buchanan. Yes, that's right. Forget about the fact that uh, most people don't even know that James Buchanan was a president and he's been dead for 100 years. We're still going to do an expose about his his sexuality. And then and then uh, Tuesday's front page of The New York Times front page above the fold is going to be an expose of uh, William Rufus Duvane King. The former vice president of the United States. What, what's that? You never heard of William Rufus Devane King? You don't know about the only vice president that was never sworn, that was sworn in, uh, outside of the United States? Well, the, the, you don't know anything about his real secret. His real secret was he was as gay as a blade. Absolutely. Now, those are not actually happening, at least not yet. But to me, that makes as much sense as what we saw on the front page of Sunday's New York Times. I have to tell you, look, I don't like to do anything that's too mainstream, and I don't like to do things that all the other hosts are doing. I know Dominic touched upon this. I know Anthony Weiner touched upon this. I know Curtis touched upon it. But I've been seething since I first saw this story on Saturday, and then when I saw Sunday the placement that it was being given in the newspaper – I find this absolutely outrageous. Cover a couple of things here. And then I want to invite people who may have a different view because, look, I'm a lover of history. And sometimes, you know, sometimes people always ask me, oh, how do you think uh, Donald Trump is going to be viewed by history? How do you think Barack Obama is going to be viewed by history? How do you think George W. Bush is going to be viewed by, by history? And for every recent president, my answer is always the same. I don't think you can really give a proper evaluation of someone's presidency or someone's mayoralty or somebody's tenure as the governor unless they've been out of office 20 to 30 years. Because if they've been in office any more recently than that, then you can't help but analyze their legacy through the prism of current events rather rather than through a broader historical perspective. So I recognize the value in going back and looking at the leadership of our past leaders. That being said, this front page story in the New York Times, which it got more coverage than the war in Ukraine did yesterday, um, all about Ed Koch's secret life, the secrets Ed Koch carried. That's the headline. Then it goes and says, friends open up about the private strain of the former mayor's life as a gay man. Now, I played for you this the other day when we were talking about the controversy over renaming the Ed Koch Bridge. This was uh, an interview that Ed Koch did with the New York Times in anticipation of his obituary in which he talked about his sexuality. Let me let me uh, talk to you about this. Yeah. My um, 
reaction was to say it's none of your business. And people who voted for me, some of them thought and think I'm gay. Some of them think I'm not. And most of them don't care. Now, I think Ed Koch really said it all there. And to me, that should have been period, end of sentence. Ed Koch made a a decision not to, if he was gay, and look, I'll go along with these these so-called friends of his that are outing him 10 years after he's dead. Let's say for the sake of this discussion that he was gay. Um, He made a decision not to say that. Now, what possible value is there? 32 years after this guy has held any office of the public trust, 10 years after this guy is dead, to all of a sudden say, oh, you know what? He was really gay. What is the news value here? I don't think there is. Now, I read the 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 New York Times knew they were going to get some heat for this. So they wrote a column uh, all about why they wrote the story. And the deputy managing editor, Carolyn Ryan, says that Koch's dual lives are especially resonant at this moment as we watch openly gay politicians rise on the city and national stage and gay rights once again become the center of major national debates. Let me explain to you something. Ed Koch did not have dual lives. Ed Koch had one life. Because he didn't choose to share every single aspect of his of his life and his private life with you, the public, or with the press, that doesn't give you a license to try and expose him and try and expose something that he worked hard for the better part of a half century to keep secret. I, I really find this absolutely shameful. Absolutely shameful. 800-848-9222. Agree, disagree. Do you think the New York Times was right to run this this uh, piece? And there's some good quotes in this piece from Ed Koch's sister and from others. And really, the quote from his sister, I think, says it all. And really, it says more about why they should not have run this story in the manner that it did. So his sister, who's now 90 years old, uh, basically says that um, – Ed Koch never asked her about her sexuality, and so she never asked him. So um, this is what she says. In an interview with uh, Pat Koch Thaler, uh, she said that while the two did not discuss his sexuality, the family would have been supportive no matter what. He didn't ask me about whether I was gay or straight or bi, and I never asked him and, he, and what he was either. It wouldn't have mattered one way or the other. Why does it matter? To the point of needing five full pages in one of the most widely read newspapers in the country um, on a Sunday edition of it, no less. I recognize that a lot of uh, Koch's opponents are now trying to make an issue of his failure to handle the AIDS crisis. Let's say they're right. Let's say Ed Koch did do a poor job handling the AIDS crisis. Then that should be the story. Ed Koch's legacy in handling the AIDS crisis. It shouldn't be that Ed Koch did a bad job handling the AIDS crisis because he was gay. He should be judged by the same principles, the same barometer, the same values that the rest of us are.
no matter what your sexuality is. I really find this so reprehensible, honestly, especially um, for an editorial page which has no problem talking about a right to privacy and this and that. Where's Ed Koch's right to privacy? The guy's dead 10 years. Give him a break. That's my opinion. Now, uh, I'll try to play devil's advocate, even though I strongly oppose what the Times did here, and say, look, through the prism of history, it helps to know the struggles that some people had at a time and uh, helps you appreciate how different things are now when you can talk about open, uh, about being gay openly. It uh, really makes you appreciate how Ed Koch might have struggled with different aspects, how lonely his leadership must have been. And that's basically the picture that the article paints is that he was an incredibly lonely guy, even into his um, late 80s, and really just wanted a boyfriend to share his life with. Now, um, to me, I can't think of anything more disgusting, honestly, than trusting friends Trusting incredibly close friends with what you think is a secret and then having them run to the New York Times even after you're dead and say – or any newspaper if you don't want it to be the New York Times. um, Run – you know, running to the New York Times or any newspaper after you're dead and outing all of your secrets. In my view, this is inexcusable. I find this incredibly offensive, and I have to think it's incredibly hurtful to Ed Koch's life and legacy. You know, I'm also reminded on some level of the Franklin Delano Roosevelt in Washington, D.C. Have you seen this monument, Uh, the Franklin Delano Roosevelt monument in Washington, D.C.? Have you seen it? Now, the reason it's controversial is because FDR is in a wheelchair. In the statue, FDR took pains to avoid being seen in a wheelchair, didn't want to be seen in a wheelchair. And a lot of folks questioned whether or not it was appropriate to have this out there. And basically, FDR wanted to be remembered as a great leader who got us through the Great Depression and World War II. He didn't want to be remembered as a great disabled leader. Ed Koch wanted to be remembered as the greatest three-term mayor in New York City history. He didn't want to be remembered as a gay mayor. And I find this really a difficult pill to swallow. Do you disagree? And you're free to say whatever you like. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let me begin with Stuart in Manhattan. Hello, Stuart. Frank is a conservative. I couldn't agree with you more. This breaks my heart. He uh, closed the gay bathhouses. He had the wherewithal to do that. However, he never backed the police in controversial incidents like the Michael Stewart case and Eleanor Bumpers. So he has a mixed legacy. But to have his friends go out and do this now, and I'm talking as a conservative, this is disgusting. It's really disgusting. It breaks my heart. Well, thank you, Stuart. Look, and I, I would be – I happen to like Ed Koch both as a person and I wouldn't say we were friends, but we were friendly. I was a great admirer of him, um, but we never socialized together or anything like that, um, I, although I got to meet him many times and he it was always a real treat to be able to meet him. 
But I say this as somebody that was an admirer of Ed Koch's mayoralty, flawed as it was. And look, Ed Koch's third term was was not exactly a winning term for New York City or for him. I mean, I think if he had stopped after two terms, his legacy would have been in many respects in a much better place. But I don't care if this is a mayor that I didn't like. I'm, You know, Abe Beam, for instance, Abe Beam, I don't consider a very good mayor. If they tried to run this same story about Abe Beam right now, I'd be saying the same thing. Um, uh, if they were doing the same thing about uh, gentleman Jimmy Walker, I would be saying the same thing. Uh, I, I don't think this is appropriate at all, at all. Um, and I would say this if I if I liked Ed Koch or I didn't like Ed Koch, you name it, 800-848-WABC. I just have such a problem. And I said this when Katie Couric came out with her book and she trashed Larry King. I have such a problem with coming out with articles after people are dead that they can't respond to. It just it really rubs me the wrong way. It really does. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Dave is in orange. Hello, Dave. Hello, Frank. How are you? It's a right to privacy. They talk about it. They want it both ways. All right, Dave. Thank you. Yeah, I, I think each, Ed Koch does have a right to privacy, in my view. Dara is in Saratoga. Hello, Dara. Hi. I was a big fan of Mayor Koch, but I think from just a historical perspective that representation does matter. Um, and even though in Mayor Koch's generation, those things weren't discussed, and he stood on his record rather than his sexuality, and I'd like that. I, I think that that's probably his best thing. Um, but he had this phrase, and I, I think of it often when he said, you didn't vote for me, and now you must suffer. I think that's how he viewed his whole life. It's that he wanted to be judged by just what he produced. But he had the body of a Greek god and finger on the button. <laughs> I don't know that he had the body of a Greek god. I uh, I think uh, I think we may have uh, maybe uh, I was going to say he had the body of a cheese blintz. Uh, that's that's about where I would say. And it's funny we were talking about documentaries on Friday, and not even knowing this story was coming out this weekend. I recommended the documentary Koch, which is available on Netflix and a bunch of other streaming sources. And I continue to recommend that documentary. And they deal with Koch's sexuality in in that documentary. And they don't make any definitive statements. But you hear from people that think he's gay. Uh, some people who thinks that, uh, you know, thought that he was asexual. Curtis Lewa, who... Um, did not have the best relationship with Koch when he was mayor, but then they became pretty friendly after Koch was no longer mayor. And Koch was a regular guest of Curtis's on the air. In fact, when Curtis and I started, at, when we left WABC together in 2010, we he asked me, who do you think should be the first guests? Who do you think should be the guests on the first show? And I said, I think it would be great if we could get Rudy Giuliani and Ed Koch. And both of them, to their credit, both did it. They were on Curtis's very first show on that other station. And, um, Ed, you know, Curtis used to say of Ed Koch that he thinks he used to think that Ed Koch was so egocentric and narcissistic that he was in love with himself. And that was what his sexuality was. He was a self-sexual. I, I can't phrase it nearly as well as Curtis did. But my view is who cares who he wanted to sleep with? 
I don't want to know what's going on in your bedroom. And you know what? The other thing is, and and they cover this a little bit in the article, too. They talked about why he didn't want to come out to his friends that or uh, quote unquote friends that are now outing him posthumously in this article. And basically, he didn't want every politician to have to be hounded about their sex life. And I agree. I, you know, if you're running for office, I want to know what you're doing in terms of policy. I want to know what your track record is. I want to know what your vision is for the office that you're running for. And I want to know what kind of person you are. I don't care who you sleep with. And what this does, what this New York Times article does, in my view, keeping in mind what Dara said, is this gives permission to every media outlet in the country to ask to hound anybody that runs for office going forward about what their sexuality is. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, I have friends and people will ask me, is this person gay? Is that person gay? My answer is always the same. I have no idea and I don't care. Unless they're trying to sleep with you, what do you care? I just have never understood the obsession that people have with sexuality and other people's sexuality. I never have gotten it. I've never gotten it. 800-848-9222. Ken is in Ocean County. Hello, Ken. Hello, Frank. Good to talk to you again. Thanks. Is, uh, I'm tired of everybody picking on Mayor Koch. What, what did that man ever do that was wrong? He explained everything he wanted to do. He gave you a reason for doing it. And sometimes even the opposite opinion. The guy didn't do anything uh, absurd. Why are these people so obsessed with taking his name off of a bridge? Yeah, that's a great where, question. I mean, I, I think where would New York be if if Mayor Koch wasn't mayor at that time? Yeah, no, I agree. I think he was one of the people that helped save New York in the uh, late seventies and early eighties, along with help from a lot of other people. But again, I would like to think I would be saying the same thing. Look, uh, you know, for instance, who am I? I'm not a fan of um, the Bushes, especially George W. Bush. But I would never want to see this kind of treatment given to um, George H.W. Bush. I think it's horrible. I think it's really just reprehensible to kind of do this to someone after they're gone. It's a a dramatic – to invade someone's privacy while they're alive is bad enough. But to out them when this was clearly the opposite of what he wanted after he's dead, to me, it's, it's almost inexcusable. 800-848-9222, 1-800-848-9222. 800-848-9222, 1-800-848-WABC. Neil is on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. Yeah, you know, Frank, uh, M. Koch always said he was asexual. He never went either way. He, he did date Best Morrison a number of times. But, Frank, all these people now who went to the Times, has anybody come forward and said they were his lover? Well, the no. uh, they, yeah, they, they identify um, not by name. They I, One person talks about um, having gone on dates with him and being romantically involved with him. But that person didn't give his name. And then there are other lovers that they do name, but they're named by other people. I see. Well, you know, Frank, you... you but who cares? I, I who cares? Out- you know. No, I, I agree. I understand your outrage. I'm outraged also. Listen, I don't like the Times. Either. To me, the Times is only good for picking up dog pool. But let me ask you, Frank, since you're so outraged, are you still going to read the Times or are you- 
you're going to punish them in some way. Well, again, Neil, my attitude is, even though the Times might do some stuff that I don't like, including this, my attitude is you should try to read everything. And and unfortunately, for better or worse, in the case of the New York Times, they do set the news standard for what everybody else does. And um, there are a lot of great, even though I disagree with this editorial decision, there are a lot of great articles in the Times. There are. I mean, so I'm not going to pretend that there are not. And I'm not going to I'm not going to um, in order to make a statement. Further my ignorance by refusing to read anything that's in the Times. I mean, I read I read everything. I read the Times, Wall Street Journal, the Daily News, the New York Post, Staten Island Advance, uh, Newsday, you you name it, uh, city and state, Politico, um, the Star Ledger, uh, Atlantic City Press. You know, I read everything. So just because they make editorial decisions that I don't agree with, I'm not going to stop reading them. 800-848-9222. Hey, um, we're going to continue with this in just a minute. If you want to comment, now's the time. I'll try and get to as many of you as possible. And then uh, we, Marlena Schiavo is going to be here in the 4 o'clock hour. And we're going to talk with Kevin Walsh about his website, Forgotten New York. I don't know if you remember the segment we did a couple of weeks ago about um, – the old signage that's still out there for businesses that are no longer there. Well, it prompted a whole wave of nostalgia. And I spent a lot of time researching this website, Forgotten New York, and apparently they specialize in a New York that is no longer there. So Kevin Walsh is going to be here. I'm looking forward to that conversation as well. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We also got uh, commendations coming up and a whole lot more straight ahead. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Monday. <clears throat> I like Mondays. I find you know it's a whole week to look forward to. You start fresh like a brand new blackboard. I do. Tuesdays, that's another story. Hey, uh, did you see this story? NASA apparently wants to send nudes to space in order to attract aliens. The images were revealed as part of uh, as part of study included in NASA's Beacon in the Galaxy program. They're planning on launching nude images into space as part of their latest attempt to make contact with other intelligent life in the universe. This is according to a study 
released by NASA. However, the proposed unsolicited, uh, unsolicited pictures won't be graphic photographs of actual naked humans like you might think. Well, why not? If we're going to send nudes, let's send, you know, let's send our best. Let's send, uh, I don't know, a Pamela Anderson or something. I mean, you'd want to come to a planet and make contact with a planet that has naked people look, looking like that, wouldn't you? Instead, they're basic anatomical drawings of a man and a woman accompanied by a depiction of DNA. A depiction of DNA. I guess that serves a more scientific purpose. I guess. Uh, the humans are waving, likely to make them seem more welcoming to the galaxy and not at all creepy. The sketches were revealed in a study that's part of a NASA project called Beacon in the Galaxy, which aims to spark communication with any alien civilization that might be out there. I really don't necessarily I don't get that. I mean, what are the what are the the folks that are responsible for this decision think? They think, okay, well, we're going to try and make contact with intelligent life that's out there. But if they see us clothed, then they won't want to make contact with us. Let's show nude nude drawings. That'll get them to want to make contact with us. To me, it makes makes no sense. Hey, reservations for getting off the planet are skyrocketing. And this comes as, uh, you know, space tourism is supposed to be one of the next big growth industries. You see all these billionaires, Elon Musk and uh, Jeff Bezos and uh, Richard Richard Branson, all with their various space tourism efforts. And apparently there is a long waiting waiting, waiting list um, of people that want to get off the planet. Now, Alita Alvarez, she's always dreamed of traveling to space. I'd like to go to space, too. And she and her husband recently booked a flight on a 10-person pressurized capsule that attached to a massive helium-filled balloon will gently float to 100,000 feet while passengers sip champagne and recline in ergonomic chairs. Now, I think that's pretty neat. The reservation required a $500 deposit. The flight itself, though, will cost $50,000 and last 6 to 12 hours. Now, first of all, I don't have $50,000, but even if I did have $50,000, I would not spend $50,000 as much as I'd like to go to space I don't want to spend $50,000 floating on a, attached to a helium balloon for 6 to 12 hours. I mean, that would not be – if you gave me a, a, a hundred things to make a list of how to spend $50,000, that would not be on it. Uh, there is one story that says space is actually warping some astronauts' brains at leaving concerning changes – even when they're back on Earth. This is a study that follows the side effects of space travel, which is something that we probably haven't studied enough. But they say not only can astronauts lose up to 20% muscle mass, even on short space flights, but this weightlessness that these astronauts endure, it could, 15 astronauts who had MRI scans before and after their mission it's showing some weird stuff on there. They had enlarged brain drainage tunnels going into this study. That could mean that when space alters the brain, the change is permanent or takes considerable time 
to revert to its past self. So it's still unclear whether the change is significant enough to be considered a major health risk for aspiring space travelers. But I wonder about this. This also gives me pause about uh, about leaving the planet Earth. So, all right, 800-848-WABC. If you want to comment on uh, the Ed Koch situation, you're welcome to. If you want to comment on space, you're welcome to. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Anna in Washington Heights, right by where Ed Koch is actually buried. Hello, Anna. Hi. Um, Number one, everybody knew Ed Koch was gay. Everybody knew that. Number two, I don't think people appreciate what it was like to be gay way back when he was coming up. Number three, if you went into any work setting and you were to find out what people did sexually, you would be really surprised. I mean, and, who, and like his sister said, who needs to know? Right. I certainly don't. I have no interest in what the people are doing sexually. And it's, it's not professional. I mean, you know, you, I, I don't want to know. And, and if you did know, they do really weird things. Far weirder than just being gay. Oh, no doubt about it. But I say as long as you're not hurting anybody, let people do right. whatever weird stuff they want to do. I don't care. Right. Wear, wear furry costumes or whips and change, as long as they're not hurting anyone. Whatever. Exactly. And yeah. I agree. It's, it's terrible for people to be just now talking about it. And, of course, sex sells, and that's why they're sending dirty pictures up in space. <laughs> I, I wonder, I, you know, that's one, there's a reason that I mentioned those two stories consecutively, because I right. do wonder if the, the media coverage of these two stories is designed in both cases to be some sort of clickbait. Anna, thanks for the call. If you do want to ever reveal the weird stuff you're doing sexually, uh, call us back. Courtney is in South Carolina. Hello, Courtney. Blah, blah, blah. He wanted to be the... Courtney. Hello. Courtney. Hello. Yes. I can't hear you good. Well, that's my loss, Courtney. My loss. Dan is in Rego Park, although, according to Philippe, it's Regal Park, which has a, a much more royal ring to it, Dan. Okay. Koch's uh, main detractor, among others, Always stated that he should have done more for the AIDS victims. Right. So let's. What do they want? What yeah. do they want him to do? Well, Empty the, out AIDS bedpans bed like the cardinal did. Yeah. Well, let's say that's true. Let's say he could have done more for the AIDS victims. Let's say that's true. Then, to me, it should be true regardless of his sexuality. It shouldn't be. Oh, he should only have done more for the AIDS victims if he was gay. I mean, if he didn't do the right thing, then let's have a conversation or a debate about that. To me, a second to do with it. Mike is in Brooklyn. Hello, Mike. Good morning, uh, Frank. How are you doing today? Good. Good. Uh, the thing with Koch, right? Right. First of all, it's it's a negative publicity crap. It's a news media trying to create news. And this is, you know, bad news shells. Disgusting stuff pushed onto the front headlines. It's the bad, bad things that get the, 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 the noise in the media. And they create it, and they're destroying the man's reputation. It doesn't matter if he was gay, straight, or any other thing. He well, did a good job for the city. Yeah. Leave it at that. Well, Mike, thank you. I don't know that, you know, this is destroying his reputation. But I'll tell you what it is doing. It's taking something that he wanted kept private, and it's plastering it on the front page when he has no opportunity to respond. That's what's being done here. And again, I think he did do a good job for the city on the whole, but uh, both 
during his mayoralty and afterwards and before, actually. But even if he didn't, again, I I think the worst mayor in, I don't know, last 50, 60 years probably was Abe Beam. And if they tried to do this about Abe Beam, I'd like to think I'd be saying the same thing here. 800-848-9222. Casey is in Stamford. Hello, Casey. Hey, Frank. How you doing? Hey, I think it's a hit job to get his name off the bridge. And uh, the, because they were just talking about that a couple of months ago or weeks ago, that, that they wise that bridge name after, after Koch. What do you think of that? Well, I think it certainly plays into it. I mean, there's a reason that this is all coming out now. And uh, I think it's because the Jim Oles uh, Democratic Club has made this their cause. Uh, I think that's. There, I think there is some truth to that. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Charlie is in Hell's Kitchen. Hello, Charlie. Hello, Frank. Usually, I agree with you. I'm going to disagree with you on this one, though. Tonight. Well, nobody's perfect. I think. I think the reason why New York Times is it helps to normalize or destigmatize homosexuality. Why I know you and many others don't care about you know what he did in his private life. There are people out there who are still small-minded bigots who are petty, and I think this is the New York Times as a way of trying to destigmatize, you know, a you know, celebrity, a famous person, and uh, tr- trying to normalize uh, his sexual orientation if he, if in fact he was gay. You know, I, I could see was that it? happening, Charlie, if this was thirty years ago. But I really don't feel. At least in the eyes of the average New York Times reader, I, I don't feel like there is any stigma left to being gay. Do you, do you really think that um, being gay is a stigma? And for anybody that does view homosexuality as something uh, that's uh, that has a stigma attached to it, would that stigma be removed with um, be, with this revelation that Ed Koch was gay? I, I don't think so. I, I think when you started to see all those stories that Abraham Lincoln was gay, um, then I think I, I could buy that. I, I could buy that they would take this American icon that so many people uh, believe was the greatest president that ever lived and say, oh, by the way, now he's gay. And that's why you should like gay people and not be prejudiced against gay people. At the time that those that those revelations were coming out, I could buy that. But in 2022, I honestly there's as enough of a stigma left that this is going to change anybody's mind about homosexuality. Oh, I still think there's small-minded, petty uh, bigots. I, I still think there's some people out there who do have a problem with it. So, I mean, no, you and I, 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 I agree with you, Charlie, that there are there are anti-gay people out there. I just don't know if there are any anti-gay people out there who are going to have their mind changed about being anti-gay by seeing this article about Ed Cotty personally. 800-848-9222. Russell is in Far Rockaway. Hello, Russell. Hi, uh, New York Times deal. Uh, I think it's just another case of the New York Times rewriting history to its agenda. Man's dead. Who cares if he was gay? Right. Uh, I try TGF twenty seven eleven. They're just trying to. Feed us into a mold to suit their uh, agenda. Well, thank you, Russell. Uh, thank you very much. Paul's in Astoria. Hello, Paul. Hey, Frank. How are you doing? 
Um, I just wanted to add that nobody's mentioned that um, Koch was actually a World War II combat veteran in the Battle of the Bulge, and he saw combat. And I read his book, and that 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 just it. Yeah, well, well, that's a great point. Uh, that's a great point. He did serve in the uh, United States military, and he should absolutely be uh, recognized for that. He was a sergeant sergeant in the 104th Infantry Division, uh, did serve at the Battle of the Bulge, and uh, was decorated. A combat Infantryman Badge, uh, World War II Victory Medal, European, African, Middle Eastern Campaign Medal. Absolutely. That's, that's a great point uh, as one views his legacy um, that's an important part of it. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. All right. We'll take a quick break and continue with your calls in just a moment. This is the other side of midnight straight ahead. We are New York on New York's talk radio, 77 WABC. Now here's Frank Morano. The great Connie Francis, Lipstick on Your Collar. A, a classic song, if ever there was one. 800 I'm going to continue with your calls in uh, just a minute. Uh, with Mother's Day weekend this weekend, a very special Mother's Day in our household because it was my wife's first Mother's Day as a mom. So uh, we had a fun day. I'll tell you a little bit about it a little later. But on Saturday... We went out to Long Island um, not only because um, my wife had some work out there, so we left early. We left super early, left around 8.15 Saturday morning, drove out there in the rain uh, to try and stay ahead of the traffic and didn't really hit much traffic on the way out there. She dropped um, my son and I off. She dropped my son and me off at um, my mother-in-law's, and uh, we spent a couple hours there, uh, got to see her for Mother's Day, and uh, had lunch with her. And uh, my wife asked my mother-in-law, what do you want to order for lunch? She said pizza, so we got pizza. And um, then we were out there for my second cousin's one, second cousin once removed. So that's the daughter of my second cousin, Jason. My second cousin once removed, first Holy Communion. And it was fun. It was a great party. And for the first time, my son, who's named Carmine Morano, got to be in the presence of two other people named Carmine Morano, my cousin Carmine and my father Carmine. He was with both of them simultaneously. Obviously, he's met my dad many times, but this was his first time seeing us, my um, my cousin Carmine. So uh, Rachel's driving. So I'm at this party. If there's any time when I'm likely to have a few drinks, it's the weekend. So I'm, I'm drinking some wine at this uh, this communion. Great party, by the way. Great food. And we're having a good time. Rachel's driving back. And before I head out, you know, they break open the Macallan 18. And very quickly, we finish up the Macallan 18. So then comes the Glenlivet. We get into the Glenlivet. And so, you know, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm bombed by the time I, le- I left there. But certainly I'm, I'm a little tipsy by the time I left there. Then figure it's about an hour, 
hour or so, maybe a little more than that till we drive home. And I'm just about sobering up by the time I get home. And my friend, I have two friends that come over around 8.45 or so Saturday night. They bring two bottles of wine. So now we break open the wine that they bring. And we're drinking, you know, the wine and everything. And now I'm getting pretty buzzed. And my friend Vinny's daughter says to Rachel, do you have anything to snack on? And my wife gets some chips or something. And then somebody, I don't know if it was me or somebody else, somebody says, oh, well, should we order something? And then there becomes a movement going for ordering either pizza or sushi. Now, this is where the effects of drinking really screw you up, right? We're all familiar with drunk eating. I don't know how many people are familiar with drunk ordering, right? So I order from two separate pizzerias a total of three pizza pies and order sushi from a Japanese restaurant. So... Three places delivered to us in the next half hour, 45 minutes, and there's just a food glut. There's all sorts of food, and there's uh, one, two, uh, two, four, five adults there and one child, right? Yeah. So more than we can eat. And now my friends recognize that I overordered here. And they're trying to do like Lucy and Ethel in that candy episode of I Love Lucy, stick as much chocolate in their mouths as possible uh, to, to kind of spare me from my wife being annoyed with me for ordering three pizza pies plus sushi at 930 on a Saturday evening. And um, th- then, you know, the evening goes on it is, as it is. One friend takes some pizza home, but we're still left with a ton of pizza. One half of a regular pie and one half of a fried calamari pie. And my wife says to me, there's no room for this in the refrigerator. So you, you're you in charge of this. You can throw this out or whatever the case may be. But if this pizza is still here on um, Sunday night, I'm throwing it away. I said, honey, don't worry about a thing. I'm going to take it to work. And she said, no, you can't take pizza that's been sitting around unrefrigerated for 24 hours to work and feed it to your coworkers. I said, these are radio people. They will eat anything. And I know that Curtis is there on Sunday nights into Monday. Curtis would ha- will, would eat food that was, you know, six weeks old. Forget about <laughs> 24 hours old. So um, I feel – so I did put the pizza out in the refrigerator uh, – in the um, kitchen area. But I'm warning everybody within the sound of my voice, to me it looks fine to eat. And I tried some. It was good. I mean I tried it a day and a half ago. But it's out there. It still looks decent. I think as long as you heat it up in the toaster oven or something, it'll kill whatever germs that are on there. I think as long as it gets eaten in the next four or five hours, it's going to be fine. Now, again, I was afraid to step on the scale Sunday morning because I'd eaten so much on on Saturday and I knew it wasn't going to be a good way in. I'm hoping that I've had a, a cleansing day on Sunday and I'll be back down to a normal weight equilibrium on Monday. But the pizza is here. If anyone wants to try it, they should all just know that it's been it was originally ordered on Saturday night. Maybe we should put a post-it note on there or something. 
warning people because we're going to have some in-studio guests as well. As long as they're all aware that this pizza is from a day ago, then I think I think it's okay. That's my view. 800-848-9222. Matt Blaze, uh, did you try uh, any of the pizza that's in there? I have not had a chance to uh, go over there yet, so I don't know. All right. So I haven't tried it yet. You have not tried it. Yeah, I didn't even know it was there. All right. Well, this is the first right. time oh, here. Curtis is eating. Look, he's eating two of the fried galamad slices. Oh. Philippe, can we get a photo of Curtis eating the, the two of this wow. and put it on our Instagram or Alex Barnard? Um, so, And he looks like he's enjoying it, I got to say. He does look like he's enjoying it. Yeah, 24 hours? That's okay for me. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it is an unrefrigerated it's okay. 24 hours. But again, I think that's fine. You're not supposed to refrigerate pizza anyway. That was one of um, Roger Stone's tricks. All right. So there's, there you have it. If you want to weigh in on the pizza as well, you're welcome to. 800-848-9222. Philippe, did you try this pizza? I haven't, but I'm intrigued. Okay. Well, let us know how – give us your review once you once you try. I honestly think it's fine. I really do. 800-848-9222. Mark is in New Jersey. Hello, Mark. Hey. Hey, radio guys will eat anything. I spent 40 years on the air up upstate New York and in Jersey. They'll eat it three, four days old. <laughs> That's true. What station did you work a, out? Uh, did you work out upstate? I worked. Well, I didn't want to give them a plug because because uh, I want to give them a plug. Okay, but cousin fine. Brucey owned the station at one time. Oh, nice. And, okay, I know what station Friday you're nights, talking about. Friday nights we used to have pie there, and it was a Saturday morning guy, and there was cold, warm bottles of soda. And plenty of pie left over, and he'd be eating that cold and drinking that soda all Saturday morning. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, I mean, you know, it was like dog food pie, you know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was, you know. But I don't think they should take the bridge away from Koch, by the way. Well, neither do I. Uh, look, I, I think the amount of time that we're spending debating whether or not uh, bridges should be renamed for people, it's all it, it's all just so silly. I mean, if we had no other problems uh, that um, that 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 we were trying to solve, then by all means, let's um, let's let's fight over who should what bridges should be renamed for whom. But to me, it looks like Nero fiddling while Rome is burning. I, I think the, the woke are overwoke, and I should go back to bed for a while. <laughs> Fair enough. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Pamela is in Central Jersey. Hello, Pamela. Hi. Um, yeah, in reference to Ed Koch, uh, we're living in a, a society where we're just devouring our own. Kind of like when your siblings, when you were younger, and a sibling gets caught doing something wrong, and they ha- have to turn in their sibling to their parents to you know try to get out of trouble. It, it's just like I'm going to rat on you. I'm going to, you know, try to ruin you because I'm not happy. Yeah, but I'm I not... think people are. Go ahead. You know, Go ahead. I think people are just very unhappy, and you start turning in people for stuff when you're an unhappy person. Yeah, I, I just I'm not clear who benefits from this. Uh, do gay people benefit? Does Ed Koch's legacy benefit? Do the people that are trying to rename the bridge for him benefit? Do the people that are not trying to rename the bridge do they benefit? I don't see how this article helps anybody and i really don't see what news value it has for anybody right right it's just miserable people doing miserable things thank you pamela 800-848-9222 alfred is in yonkers hello alfred hi frank how are you nice talking to you congratulations on the birth of your baby thank you by the way thanks a lot appreciate it I just wanted to say that um, I don't know why they're trying to disparage Ed Koch. He was a good man. And and who cares about his sexual orientation? He was a good mayor. 
and 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 he used to ask, "How am I doing?" You know, and I think a lot of other politicians should be asking that now. You know, and well, I agree with you, Alfred, on both counts. But let me just play devil's advocate here because look, I'm in a, in a court, I'm in agreement with you completely. But what about those who say knowing he's gay? helps us go back and look at his handling of certain issues related to the gay community differently. And it helps us better appreciate politicians of today who are able to run for office while being openly gay. Uh, does it does it do either of those things? OK, I can I can accept that. I mean, but, but you know, I, I just don't think they should take his name off the bridge and 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 try to discredit him because, yeah. you know, no, I, I mean, I certainly things. agree with that. And and look, the Times has not called for taking his name off the bridge at all. Uh, so I, I want to be very clear. 800-848-9222 is John in Brooklyn. I don't think we've heard from you in a while. Hello, John. Hello. I agree with you completely, Frank. You know, this you, is the New York. You better Times. get yourself checked out. You might not be feeling OK. The New York Times, this is the New York Times boldly going, going where the National Enquirer has gone, in my opinion. Who cares what Koch's sexual orientation was? It doesn't add or detract from his prior history, which was that of being a good mayor for the city. Uh, yeah, I think you're exactly right, John. Uh, well said. Thank you. 800 We're going to try again. To go to Courtney in South Carolina. Fingers crossed that it works out this time for both of us. Courtney, hello. Hey, Frank, how you doing? Doing well, thanks. Hey, listen, I don't know why we're ta- even talking about Mayor Koch, God rest his soul. But, you know, no one realizes what he did for New York City. New York City was in a fiscal crisis. He brought us out of that. He expanded the affordable housing. And you know, you got to keep in mind, folks, that guy Fauci, of Dr. Fauci, was the head of the CDC. He wanted to run and be the controller of AIDS. It wasn't major. Mayor Koch was the best mayor we ever had. Well, look, I, I, thank you for the call, Courtney. I, I'm a big Ed Koch fan, as I said the other day when we had the discussion about the bridge. And... A lot of the things that you mentioned, I would agree with about his policy accomplishments. But Koch was so much more than that. But both during the time that he was mayor and afterwards, he was New York's ambassador to the world. When um, during the transit strike, I think it was in 83, it was around then, in the transit strike, when he led New Yorkers in walking across the Brooklyn Bridge. It said to the world and to the transit union, New Yorkers are not going to be intimidated. New Yorkers are not going to be held hostage. The business of New York will continue even if we have to walk to work. And the fact that he was willing to walk with New Yorkers, he was sending the statement, I'm one of you. And uh, again, even after he left office, it's almost like he stayed on as a mayor emeritus and um, was still so vocal, including on this radio station. But on New York One, as you heard Dominic Carter and others, he uh, was so visible in so many different policy areas. And 
even beyond being a policy leader in New York, which he certainly was involved in just about every election in New York until the day he died, pretty much. He was just somebody that was a great cheerleader for New York. He made you be proud to be a New Yorker. And to me, that's his legacy. And again, not to repeat everything I said the other day, but um, I think the fact that he could patch things up so easily with Mario Cuomo and Andrew Cuomo after the acrimony that existed in their relationship, I think that's a model for all of us about forgiveness personally. So that's my two cents. All right. This concludes. And again, the last thing I'll say is if you check out the uh, if you check out the Netflix documentary Koch, whatever your opinion is about Koch, whether it's positive, negative, I think you'll learn something and I think you'll find it to be well made. Really a a, a well done documentary. 800-848-9222. We'll squeeze in one last call on this, and then we'll move on and conclude the Koch portion of our show. John is in Bayonne, New Jersey. Hello, John. Hi, Frank. Um, uh, mayor Koch, he, he was not the best mayor we had. Obviously, the best mayor was Rudy. It's it not even close. Rudy Giuliani was the best mayor we have ever had and probably will be into the future the best mayor we will have ever had. That's not debatable. Um, earlier, you mentioned the, some of the newspapers that you read. I really don't know how you read the Staten Island Advance. Is there anything actually in that paper anymore? <laughs> it's uh, it doesn't take me very long. I'll tell you that. I mean, the, the one you get for free once a week, like with the ads in it, that's not it's not even worth free. Um, you don't read the Epic Times, Frank. Um, you know what? I don't get it. I don't get it. I it's mean, if I see it, fantastic paper. No, I know. I've read it. It's if a I, weekly. It's yeah, no, I, I'm really, familiar really with. It. I read it. If somebody hands me a copy, I will read through it. But I don't know where I can pick it up on a regular basis. Uh, you, I, you could subscribe to it. it. Comes only once a week, okay. and it's usually on time. Thanks, how, how much is it? Um, it's about 150 dollars a year, but it's worth it. It's really worth it. Right. It's, it's a great, great. Yeah, no, I'm, 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 I've spoken with the. The editor of that paper before and uh, and others. Thank you. 800-848-WABC. Hey, uh, if you want to stay in touch, you can email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. And uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Frank Morano. Still to come, Marlena Shivo will be here. Kevin Walsh of Forgotten New York will be here. And uh, we we got commendations coming up an hour from now. So we got a lot to get to. It's Monday morning. Thanks for starting your week with me. I hope you had a nice weekend celebrating Mother's Day, celebrating the Kentucky Derby. Hopefully you didn't overdo it on the mint juleps. Or if you did, hopefully you didn't overorder like I did. Until next hour, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morning, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Thanks for starting your Monday morning with me. So you remember a, a few months ago, we we did a segment on cool stuff that people have found 
at uh, thrift shops or garage sales that they paid pennies for, and it turned out to be super valuable. That was really interesting, and I thought that was a lot of fun, and I love that kind of stuff. And I was so interested in this story out of Texas. Lori Young was at a Goodwill, a Goodwill store on Far West Boulevard in Austin, Texas, four years ago. And at the time, she had no idea what she was getting herself into. She found a human head under a table at the Goodwill store. No, not an actual human head, not somebody that had been decapitated. No, it was not a relic from the French Revolution or anything like that. No. So she found a human head made of marble. She didn't really know what it was. She said, oh, $34.99. Marble. Looks like it's well made. Seems like a pretty good deal. It was all white, made of marble, weighed about 50 pounds. She didn't know anything about it. Clearly antique, clearly old, said Young, who runs her own business as an antiques dealer and goes to a lot of thrift stores looking for treasures. You see, it's always, and this was the case when we did this segment on this, it's always the people who are running these side businesses that always know what to look for. They always know what to grab. See, I never know what to grab. I I go to thrift shops and antique shops and I buy uh, a, a piece of uh, broke, a broken olive jar from a pirate ship from 300 years ago. Oh, this has got to be something. This has got to be valuable. Oh, this is, this is absolute trash. This is garbage. This is not even valuable as a paperweight. But these people, the, the antiques folks, they know what to look for. So she bought the head and lugged it out to her car, carries it, 50 pounds, carries it to her car, buckles it into the passenger seat, takes it home. And so she wanted to figure out what the sculpture was. So she did some Googling and she started to piece things together. She contacted an auction house in London and she confirmed it was really old. How old? How old is it? I mean, it was so old that when it came out, the Dead Sea was only sick. I mean, it was old. I mean, it was old. It was so old that uh, when this this guy was being modeled for um, for this this bust here, this statue, um, he told Moses when he had a headache to take two tablets. (laughs) All right, we'll end it there. Um, So she contacted this auction house in London and confirmed that it was really old. First century old. First century. Another auction house managed to find the head in a catalog of items from a German museum in the 20s and 30s, okay? It was listed as a portrait bust of a man named Drusus Germanicus. And so began Laurie Young's four-year ordeal trying to get rid of a 2,000-year-old sculpture. So how did a 2,000-year-old sculpture of a Roman general's head wind up in a Goodwill in Austin, Texas? Um, Stephanie Mulder is an art history professor at the University of Texas in Austin. 
She said, there are plenty of Roman portrait sculptures in the world. There's a lot of them around. They're generally not in good wills. So the object itself is not terribly unusual, but the presence of it here, meaning in the goodwill, is what makes it extraordinary. So we can't know exactly how it wound up under a table at the Far West Goodwill, but we can guess. There are a lot of examples of German-owned art showing up in random places years after they were last seen. So this marble bust was cataloged at a museum in a, in the German city of Aschenberg, uh, Asch, Aschaffenburg. The museum was a replica of a villa in Pompeii, which was burned in volcanic ash in the first century. So the German king, Ludwig I, had something of an obsession with Pompeii. So he built this villa, it's called Pompejanum, in the 1840s to house a bunch of Roman art. And Germanicus, that's the person whose sculpture this is, whose, whose bust this is, was among the collection. So almost 100 years later, World War II was raging. In spring of 1945, Aschaffenburg was the site of a battle between the Nazis and the U.S. Army. In the course of the battle, the museum, the Pompeii-themed museum, Pompejanum, was hit by bombs and heavily damaged. According to Stephanie Mulder, the art historian I referenced earlier, we know that many of the objects in the museum were either destroyed in the Allied bombing campaign or looted afterwards. So unfortunately, in this case, it might have been a U.S. soldier who either looted it himself or purchased it from someone who had looted the object. Thousands of pieces of stolen art were brought back to the U.S. by American soldiers, according to, uh, I hate to say it after our last segment, uh, according to the New York Times. So the head probably came to the United States in a soldier's duffel bag, maybe to Texas or maybe somewhere else, and then we can guess it sat in someone's house for decades. Perhaps the person who took it died, or perhaps they gave it away, but somehow someone decided they didn't want it anymore, and they dropped it off at a Goodwill. Workers slapped a price tag for thirty-four ninety-nine on it and put it out for sale. Young asked the folks at Goodwill if they had any information about who donated it, but they said they don't keep records like that. So back at home, Young had a problem. She was in possession of a looted piece of ancient art. And in her view, now, what would you do here? You discover that you're in possession of a piece of looted art from the first century that you purchased for $34.99. No one's asking you for it. There's no great search demanding it or there's no one asking for you to give it back. You have it. What would you do? 800-848-WABC. In her view, she said she couldn't keep it. She couldn't sell it. And giving it back to its rightful owners was a lot harder than it sounds because who owns something like this? If it was last seen in this German museum in the 40s, who owns it? At that point, I realized I was probably going to need some help. I was probably going to need a lawyer. So she hired a lawyer in New York who specializes in international art law. Negotiations began, and it was very, very complicated. 
It takes a long time to figure out all this stuff, even in the best of times. But the pandemic complicated things even further. It was slow going. And in the meantime, she was stuck with this 2,000-year-old head on display at her house. It was on a small credenza close to the entryway of our house facing the TV. So you could see his reflection in the TV when you were watching TV. Every time you walk into the kitchen, you pass this head. Every time you walk into the house, he greets you. He's there. He was a constant presence. It looked great in the house, she says. In a weird way, Young started to get attached. She named him, half-jokingly, after Dennis Reynolds, a narcissistic character from the TV show It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I know um, the Mats watch this show. They're always trying to get me to watch it. I know it's a very popular show. But according to Ms. Young, he was attractive. He was cold. He was aloof. I couldn't really have him. He was difficult. So, yeah, my nickname for him was Dennis. So there Dennis sat next to a lamp that kind of looked like it could be his hand for a couple of years. And it might have been frustrating for Young, but Dennis didn't seem to mind. Time works differently, according to the NPR station in Austin, when you're a 2,000-year-old head. So finally, they got a deal. The Germans would take Dennis back. The exact terms of the deal are confidential, but the head will stay in Texas on display for about a year. Last month, the movers came to get him. Quote, it hurt a little bit. It was bittersweet, like it's nice that there's a resolution to it and that it's working out for the best. It'll be bittersweet to see him in the museum, but he needs to go home. He wasn't supposed to be here. So starting yesterday... You can see Dennis at the San Antonio Museum of Art, which already has a significant Roman antiquities collection. It actually ended up being a really, really good fit. He's just right down the road, she says. It'll be in the company of other objects like it, although I think when you look at it, you can see what a particularly nice example of a portrait it is in that context. That's according to a curatorial fellow at the San Antonio Museum of Art. So in the course of all this, Young also found that the person whose likeness the sculpture depicts might not have been Drusus Germanicus at all. Instead, it more closely resembles a different Roman general named Pompey. So regardless, Dennis, whether it's a depiction of Germanicus or Pompey, will be shown in San San Antonio until next summer when he and several other pieces will get packed up and sent back to Germany. After that, Who knows? So in a way, according to Young, Dennis will always be with her. Before she let him go, she had a half-sized copy of him 3D printed. That's nice. So she says, I do have a collection of busts at home, so he's with my other heads. Very nice. So she still goes to Goodwill looking for treasures, but chances are she's never going to find one quite as special and quite as rare as this one. What would you do if this were you? What would you do? I mean, this woman went to great lengths to give this head back to this German museum. Is that what you would have done? I'd like to think it would be what I would do, but I don't know. Honestly, I I see what my day is like, and I don't have time to read a book or return a phone call. And I can't imagine going on this sort of expedition, this adventure, trying to find the proper owners 
of this 2,000-year-old statue. I probably, I, I mean, I hate to say this, I'd like to think I would have done the same thing Laura Young would have done, but I might have just kept it. I, I said, I, I, you know, all right, I got a deal, $35. What would you have done? Keep it? Sell it? Or do exactly what Laura Young did here? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Uh, Matt Blaze, do you have, a, do you have a, a take on what you would do if you were in the position of Laura Young? I would just keep it. You would just keep it. I mean, it's 2,000 years old. It, it, no one knows where it came from. Right. I would just keep it. And f- how much could it possibly be worth? I think it might be worth a bit. I mean, but who knows? But it's know? only worth as much as somebody's willing to pay for it. Right. Right? So if they're willing to pay for it, now I'm the owner. I didn't, I didn't steal it. I bought it. Right. So I would just keep it. And if somebody else wanted it, I'd say, what's your price? And if it's worth it to me, I'd sell it. Yeah. Uh, Philippe, what about you? Where do you come down on this? I think I'd probably keep it too. I'd, yeah. I'd hoist it up in the living room. Have everyone look at it. It is a nice looking piece. I do. I, I don't know where I would put this. I could see me wanting to keep this and my wife saying our house is already cluttered enough that we have nowhere to put it and saying, all right, if you want to keep it in your office and then I would have nowhere to put it in my office and it would stay in my closet forever until my great grandchildren sold it or donated it to a Goodwill. So uh, it is interesting. 800-848-WABC. What would you do if this were you? And you discovered this 2,000-year-old bust was at a Goodwill, and you purchased it for thirty four ninety nine. What do you do? 800-848-WABC. Six open lines if you want to uh, jump on board. Uh, coming up in uh, at 45 minutes, we have commendations. Then we're going to talk with Kevin J. Walsh about Forgotten New York. It's not only a great website, but it's a great series of tours that he does about old New York. And then Marlena Shiva will be here in the 4 o'clock hour. We haven't talked to Marlena in a couple of weeks, and I'm very much looking forward to uh, chatting with her. 800-848-9222. Loretta is in New Rochelle. Loretta, if you were in this position of purchasing this bust for thirty four ninety nine, what would you do? Well, I've called you before when you've been you've talked about, you know, finding things um, by the side of the road. And, sure. you know, I, 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 uh, it's sort of like my business too. It's my hobby and a little business, but see, because if you're in the business, you, well, most people are like me. You're, you're obsessed when you find something, you're obsessed with finding out what it is. You don't just take it home and like stick it on a table. It's like part of the whole, it goes along with the whole love of, antiques and vintage and your finds like so i would do exactly the same thing that the woman did i'd have to find out what it is and i'd have to research its history and i would you know probably find out eventually the same uh, facts that the woman learned and i would do the same thing i think i would think that it would have to go back to rightful place because you can't I mean, unless you absolutely love it and you can't part with it no matter what, but I don't think she was that in love with it, but you can't sell it because it's it doesn't really, even though you rightfully bought it, it, it has to go back to, you know, it was taken illegally. So it really has to go back to where it came from. So um, see, like with you and whoever you 
past in your um, in your office there, they're not like you're not like antiques people. So like you probably could just take it home and stick it, you know, in your living room and look at it and enjoy it. But when you um, when antiques are your thing, yeah, my you, my you uncle is this way. My uncle is uh, he is is really into antiques. He he has the same kind of passion that you do for this. So yeah. um, you would have done the same thing and donated it to this museum the same way that this woman did. Yes. And I did do a lot of reading about this myself, and I did read, I forget which article, because I read so many online, because it's fascinating. She did get um, a finder's fee, an oh, undisclosed right. finder's fee. I know, fee. they said it's so uh, she did get something. confidential. Yeah. So what do you think it was? I mean, ballpark. Are we talking 500 bucks? Are we talking $1,000, oh, 2000 Something like that. You really... You, you, you really, it's, you really, I couldn't put a price on it. Like uh, I'm not expert enough in in uh, Roman art to put a price on it, so I, I couldn't even guess at that. But you know, I, I've I found things that you know, small little things that I've I've researched. I've spent three, four, five hours researching like a small little thing that I know is only going to be worth like twenty five to fifty dollars. But it's like an obsession that you have to find out what it is. So I, I would do exactly the same thing that the woman did. Cool. Well, Loretta, thank you. Happy hunting to you in the future. If you find anything really cool, give us a call and let us know. Uh, appreciate that. Rich is in East Meadow. Hello, Rich. Hey, good morning, Frank. How are you today? Doing fine, thanks. Hey, sorry, Mike. I know you hate that. I'm sorry. I, no, I don't care. It doesn't bother me. I, I don't. Spend much time. I'm not like Curtis, where I'm going to spend five minutes going nuts because somebody is being polite enough to say, "How are you?" I just kind of move on with the conversation. Okay, okay, all right, okay. Well, I'm glad I made you happy. Thank you. Or well, made you I'm, neutral anyway. I'm, I'm thrilled, Rich. I, I've actually I can't remember the last time I was this happy. I'm delighted. Okay, well, uh, as far as the bus goes, I would monetize it as much as humanly possible and let some wealthy do-gooder. Um, buy it and donate it back to the museum. But I would feel no moral obligation to hand that back to anybody. And uh, I beat myself up over doing the right thing. That would not bother me at all. Yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. But, I mean, there is something commendable about what this woman did here, isn't there? There absolutely is. I just don't – she's been doing this forever, I'm sure, for mm-hmm. quite a while. And if she came across in a Goodwill shop, uh, a baseball glove that her grandfather had that the family lost some way somehow, she would have to pay for it. She'd have to buy it. She couldn't, as the, the person that owned the glove wouldn't just give it to her because she said it was hers. So um, I think that the bus will end up where it should be, but somebody needs to pay for it. Yeah, fair enough, Rich. I, I get it. I, and uh, look, I, I don't, I'm not uh, judging either way. I'm just kind of curious how people would have handled this, uh, this particular situation. So far, we've got Matt, who says keep it. We've got um, Loretta, who says she would have done the exact same thing. And then we have Rich, who said he would have monetized it and sold it for as much as he possibly could have. So I, I think those are the three options, right? What would you do and why? I respect, you know, all points of view on this one. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC if you want to comment. Steve is in Jersey City. Hello, Steve. Hi, good, good evening, Craig. Uh, you know, if I bought it legitimately, I mean, I'm not going to say I have no morals, but I have no morals. I'd find somebody who knew what it was worth. Uh, if they were willing to pay seven figures for it, I'd sell it and keep the money. 
to – well, I mean, I don't think you're going to get seven figures. I mean, seven figures is well, – I, I mean, I, I don't know that it's tw- – I don't know that it's a life-changing amount of money, but it's certainly a significant life-improving amount of money. I, I think if we're talking seven figures, then a lot of people might view things a bit differently there. Okay, I take the life-improving money. You okay? All right, fair enough. Uh, fair enough, Steve. Thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. If you want to comment, all right. Um, by the way, I had a delightful weekend, in part because I was not awake during much of Curtis's show this week. And when I was awake this weekend during Curtis's overnight show, I didn't get to hear much of it. Um, but that didn't stop him from devoting almost half of the whole show to everything that's wrong with this show. It's really uh, an unhealthy obsession that this man has with me and with you if you listen to the show. We'll explore it straight ahead. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. I'm Frank Moreno. Uh, so I got a whole bunch of emails over the weekend or people commenting on Facebook. If you want to join the Facebook group, just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters on Facebook. And um, it's really designed to be a forum for discussing this show. So if there's anything on this show that piques your interest, anything you want to comment further on, anything that you take issue with, anything you feel we haven't spent enough time Focusing on that's the place to do it. Just so just search on Facebook, Morano Radio Fans and Haters. My goal for that Facebook group is to essentially have this show, The Other Side of Midnight, be a show that never ends. And that the other twenty hours of the day that I'm not on, that Facebook group can be the continuation of the show. You remember I'm a big Howard Stern fan, and one of the things that they that they do, and they used to make it a big thing. It was a big production. They used to have a wrap-up show. I thought, oh, that's clever. You know, if you just can't get enough of the show for the four or five hours that it might be on, it's neat you have a show to kind of do that, you know, to talk about the show, to digest what happened. The Facebook group is our version of the wrap-up show. It's a show that doesn't end. Uh, but anyway, I got a – so it's uh, Morano Radio fans and haters. Just search it. A whole bunch of people emailing me over the weekend. I can't believe what Curtis is saying about you. I can't believe what these callers are saying about you. Don't you get upset? Isn't Curtis your friend? 
The answer is, and I, I can't say, say this enough, and I feel like I say this literally every Monday, is no, I don't care at all. I, I, one, Curtis is giving us a lot of publicity by doing this. Two, I mean, Curtis's show does very well at night. It is the second highest rated show in terms of percentage on the whole station. I'll give you one guess as to what the number one highest rated show in terms of percentage is on the whole station, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, three, sometimes Curtis can be very funny. Four, uh, Curtis and I are, are very tight. So Curtis could say whatever he wants about me, and he's been such a good friend to me within radio that as far as I'm concerned, even if he was sincere in making fun of me, which he's not, it wouldn't bother me in the least because what he's done for me radio was I uh, I owe him a great deal. Uh, I don't even know that I'd have a show but for him. Uh, so as far as I'm concerned, Curtis could say whatever he wants about me. You know, it's funny. I used to ask Curtis the same thing about Steve Dunleavy. Steve Dunleavy was a great columnist for the New York Post. He was an anchor on The Current Affair. Could not stand Curtis towards the end of his life. He would refer to Curtis whenever I'd see Steve Dunleavy. And Steve Dunleavy and I were very good friends, uh, frequent drinking partners, covered a lot of trials together, some other events. And he would refer to Curtis and he he would refer to Curtis as that nitwit in the beret that you work with. That's what he would call him. He always had this thick Australian accent. Steve Dunleavy, I must have seen him over the course of my life at least 100 times. I have never, never in my whole life seen Steve Dunleavy sober. And I don't think there's a person alive that has seen Steve Dunleavy sober. And how he was able to write the way that he did being bombed all the time, that's to me the most impressive aspect of Steve Dunleavy's legacy. But I would say to Curtis, Curtis, don't you get upset that Steve Dunleavy says all these negative things about you? And Curtis would say no. He says, because when Steve Dunleavy was the city editor of the New York, I think it was uh, it was before he was with the Post. It might have even been the Daily News. No, it was the Post. Okay. So it was the city editor of the Post. He said he did this huge article on us, on the Guardian Angels, and that really caused us to take off. So as far as I'm concerned, whatever Steve Dunleavy says about me, he could say whatever he wants. I still owe him. That's the way I kind of feel about Curtis. Um, all right. Now. This was a uh, caller to Curtis's program on either Saturday or Sunday morning talking about Matt Blaze being asleep at the wheel. Okay. Real quick, Curtis, uh, a little note on that. Uh, you know, last week you were talking about the guy borrowed your belt to go into the bathroom. Remember? Yes, that's uh, Matt. Uh, Matt Blaze, okay. who is the board operator and defender of Frank Morano. Yes, you're correct. Right. Okay. Well, just something you know. I think last Monday it was a guy. He he takes a caller. Call Frank does, and he goes in. It's, 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 I forget the name. Like Joe from Mississippi, and the guy goes, "This is Joe, but I'm not from Mississippi. I, I don't know what's wrong with your guy. He sounds like he's asleep or something. I'm from Brooklyn, and so I guess you're not the only one. I mean, if this the board operator now is like, you know, I don't know, man. What does he have a problem or something? First of all, I want to be very clear, and I'll let Matt Blaze speak for himself here. One, Matt Blaze doesn't answer the phones. Two, the person that was answering the phones that day that the caller said um, w sounded asleep was Curtis's call screener, Avery Brooks. Avery Brooks was on loan to this program for two days, 
and by any objective measure did a horrible job, right? I mean, he actually, he, I, and this is a very high energy show. I have a lot of energy when when I, I do the show. He put he almost put me to sleep on my own show because he's just so low energy. So make no mistake, that was not Matt Blaze that the caller was referencing who he couldn't even manage to put up an accurate name for. That was Curtis's screener, Avery Brooks. Matt Blaze, do you have anything you want to add there? That is 100% correct. Thank you. And I, <laughs> by the way, I don't consider you a big... And uh, I, don't an- I don't answer the phone. Yes. And it was Avery. Yeah. And I don't know if it was they were referring to the day I wasn't here when Could Phil was on, yeah, Philip probably, was on the board probably. or when I was here. Either way, both those two Mondays, Avery... Did answer the phone. Interesting. Now, so. um, it is interesting. And I don't consider Matt Blaze a big Frank Morano defender. I, I, I find him to be, I don't know, a Frank Morano agnostic. Uh, that's that's the way I view him. You know, but people have different views. All right. So we were talking about, um, they were talking about the joke segment we did on Friday, I think it was, or Thursday, where we invited people to call in with jokes. And at least one caller, Joe, took issue with that. I was listening to when you were doing that little thing on uh, the people saying the comedy uh, jokes. I was the first person you played, Curtis. And uh, the reason why my jokes were the way they were was Frank gave us rules and regulations on what type of jokes we could tell. Wow. So I didn't know that. Yes, if you would have listened, because you didn't want anybody to say anything anti-Semitic or anything like that, you know, which I don't do. <laughs> But, uh, you know, there was, like, all these criteria you had to go by. You so know, uh, so I, basically, basically, he was censoring the contributors to his comedy hour. Correct. Correct. Wow. Now, first of all, you know, Joe, Joe and Ron Conkham is an interesting guy. Because he, he calls this show, acts like he's my best friend. Can't be nicer. You know, nice as can be. I hear him call Curtis, and all of a sudden, he's like Curtis's best friend. I, he almost takes this this being servile to like a post-Carol level, which is very difficult. And then I remember when Frankie Russo used to be on the air, he'd call Frankie Russo and bash me. So it's like whoever's on, Joe will be your best friend. And second, did you hear uh, Joe's characterization of the rules and regulations that I put on the 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 joke segment. Yeah, I, let me hear that one again, if we can, Matt. Just the beginning. I was listening to when you were doing that little thing on uh, the people saying the comedy uh, joke. I was the first person you played, Curtis. And uh, the reason why my jokes were the way they were was Frank gave us rules and regulations on what type of jokes we could tell. Wow. So I didn't know that. Yes, if you would have listened, because you didn't want anybody to say anything anti-Semitic. Oh, or go figure. Like you know, Nothing anti-Semitic. I, I mean, but, oh, uh, my goodness. I, I may as well be the, the thought police. I'm not inviting these uh, neo-Nazis who want to call in and bash Jews to talk about all these anti- <laughs> anti-Semitic jokes. I mean, call me crazy. Uh, I mean, again, who am I to censor the comedy of Joe from the Bronx and Richard and Parsippany? My goodness. How how outrageous. Now, um, I did run into Curtis last week. We He came to the Ferry Hawks game. And, um, you know, he he was the one when my son was born. My son was born. He was six point six pounds, two ounces. 
And um, Curtis started this rumor, I think that he was 13 pounds or 14 pounds or something like that. So when he saw my son Tuesday at the game, he said, oh, this kid's got to be like 36 pounds now. So he, I guess, referenced that at, uh, you know, on the on the program this weekend. Been at the uh, Staten Island Ferry Hawks game opening uh, night. Frank Morano eventually showed up. Uh, Frankie Five Burroughs from eventually. Staten Island with his lovely wife, Rachel, and Carmine, his new son, who was birthed in Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving Day, or approximately around then. I remember that. And it's amazing because um, uh, he was so big, the kid, 13 pounds at birth, he had to be delivered by a midwife provided by Mount St. Laredo. Uh, Vinny Ignizio was in charge at the time, had a midwife um, nun come over and assist um, Rachel uh, along with Nurse Ratchet there provided by the hospital. And I would have thought that they would have put um, El Jefe, big boy, uh, Carmine on a diet. Nope, 36 pounds. And that reminds me, now that I saw Carmine the other day uh, for the first time, because naturally I was not invited to the christening. I was not invited to the baptism. I still haven't been told why I'm suddenly persona non grata. But I wasn't invited. But thinking of big boy, how many of you remember Bob's Big Boy Restaurants, or as I think officially was known, Big Boy Restaurants. The reason why I mention that is when I saw young Carmine, he looked like that figure in front of the original Bob's Big Boy uh, Restaurants, you know, that had that six rolls of uh, fat protruding where his shirt and his pants meet. You remember Bob's Big Boy? Now, he's given my poor son a complex. Now, thankfully, at only five months old, Carmine, who is not overweight, I don't think, even for a five-year-old, at least not according to his pediatrician, uh, can understand what Curtis is saying about him. But uh, uh, that did not stop Curtis from continuing to create this new narrative that my son is now 36 pounds. Oh, we're going to talk about my night. Taking my wife, Nancy, to the Staten Island Ferry Hawks opening game in Staten Island, where I met Frank Morano, his lovely wife, Rachel, and yes, the young Carmine, who might as well be called Big Boy El Jefe, because he is 36 pounds. Imagine, birthed on Thanksgiving to a midwife provided from Mount St. Laredo by Vinny Ignizio, a 92-year-old nun. And Nurse uh, Ratchet at Richmond uh, Hospital, that boy, that bouncing uh, big boy, El Jefe Carmine, is now 36 pounds. Maron Ama. I, I, you know, Curtis said so many inaccurate things there that I don't even know where to begin. Needless to say, my son was born in a hospital and was delivered by a doctor. And there is no Mount St. Laredo. There is no St. Laredo. So I don't know. There is a Mount Loretto, but there's no, there's no facility there for birthing children currently, at least not that I'm aware. All right. 
Now, the thing about when Curtis decides to fire his verbal Gatling gun at those of us on this show, nobody is safe. Not even Philippe. Frank Morano, the other the other morning, put his board operator, Felipe, or whatever the hell his name uh, is, put him to sleep. He's the farthest from genuine in the world, so. Fair enough, Tuna. Thank you. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. So far, I'm alone on this one. What about you, Philippe? If you were, if you were met a mayor that you didn't like their politics and they wanted to take a photo with you, would you, would you want to take a photo with them or would you run away? Philippe? Yeah, I guess you're not listening. All right. You guess you weren't listening to anything I just said. I didn't mean to throw you here, Philippe. Not exactly a, a trick question. Never mind. Never mind. We're, we're moving on. We're moving on. It's okay. Ned is in Stamford. Hello, Ned. Hello, sleep, Philippe. I got to acknowledge that was a pretty boring segment. Frank uh, <laughs> can do much better than that. Much better than that. Uh, I believe Avery, uh, Avery was the phone screener at the time. You probably were putting toothpicks uh, in your eyelids uh, to stay awake. That was not scintillating talk radio the way I know that Frank Morano can do it. Now, for starters, Avery looks like he's asleep, you know, every single time that I've met him, number one. Number two, um, Philippe was not asleep in his defense, and I'll let him speak for himself if he wants. He was just unable to turn his microphone on and speak into it. Now, you wonder how does someone who can't manage the fact of turning their microphone on and speaking into it and getting on the air, how do they get tasked with running all of the controls for a four-hour radio program that's number one in the market? That I don't know. That's a fair criticism. But um, Philippe's problem is not narcolepsy nor boredom. It's at least in that particular instance, it's incompetence. It has nothing to do with falling asleep. It has everything to do with being unable to figure out how to turn on a microphone. And he was not snoring on air. That was a sound effect that was inserted by this Curtis Avery duo later on. Number two, um, if we did hear Philippe snoring on air, that would have been a nice change because that would have mean, meant that he was able to actually figure out how to turn his microphone on and speak on air. But now that Matt Blaze is here in charge of the microphones, uh, Philippe, do you have anything you want to add to that? Well, Frank, I don't know. I don't know if you were looking through the glass at the time of it, but what really happened was Avery snatched the button for the microphone off, mm. and fisticuffs uh, ensued, and I had to fight him for that button back. You heard me later in the show, and I don't know if you noticed that Avery also had a black eye. Both those things are in a direct correlation. Well, but that's because he's black. Fair. Uh, I, um, all right. Well, so okay, there you go. I, I will take back my. My uh, my commentary on your ability to turn on a microphone, that's fair. All right. And um, and Curtis is d- does three hours on out of his six hours or whatever he's on on me on me. So let's not let's not discuss whose show is scintillating and which segments are not. Now, here's one thing I do want to clarify here, because I have spent a lot of money taking Curtis to lunch over the years. And I remember one meeting we had at a diner while Curtis was running that was all about campaign strategy. And keep in mind, Curtis was getting eight to one matching funds, had all these high priced consultants 
You know what I got? Nothing. Wasn't looking for anything. But Curtis could have said, hey, make sure you submit that receipt. I'll reimburse you for this lunch. Nothing. But I didn't mind it. In my view, that was my contribution in addition to the substantial campaign donations I made to Curtis. That was my contribution to Curtis's campaign, paying for everybody's lunch, which I've done repeatedly, which is why I found this comment so bizarre. I am a martini drinker. If uh, you've been out to to dinner or drinks with me, stop. Especially stop it right during there. The- if you've been out to dinner or drinks with Frank, you're going to have to pay the tab because he's got alligator arms. You never see Frank Morano's arms go into his pockets to pay for a bill if you're out having dinner or drinks with Frank Morano. Just let me remind all of you listeners out there: if you go out. With Frank Morano for lunch or dinner or drinks. No, he has alligator arms. He has never picked up a check. He's known <laughs> to be uh, frugal. We'll be kind to Frank since he is the untouchable. He's the golden child. He can do no wrong here at WABC. As the suits, the mockers, the muckety mucks describe them to me as the future of talk radio. Well, I mean, look, I, I guess I wouldn't I would say I'm not the future, but the present, Curtis. But I I have purchased more drinks and meals for people over the course of the last decade than almost any New Yorker there is. Maybe aside from John Katsimatidis or Arthur Idala, I have purchased, you know, more drinks than anybody for other people. Um, definitely more than Curtis. Let's not even let's not even begin with that now. Um, and you know, this, I really took umbrage with as well, because if there's one thing that I know a little bit about, I don't pretend to be an expert on many things. I would say I am something of an expert on, in, on the world of professional wrestling from the years 1980 to the years two, to the year 2001, that two decade stretch, I think you'd be hard pressed to find anybody on the radio that in the whole country. That's better informed of that era of professional wrestling. Now, who was one of the great stars in that era was Hulk Hogan, which is why I was somewhat perplexed that Curtis seemed to take issue with my wrestling knowledge. Frank Show, he's a big wrestling fan. Now, I met Hulk Hogan and a whole bunch of wrestlers, and I was talking to him about this. And then they start playing music, and he says, well, what's that noise? I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't hear anything. Then they started playing noise or music to drown me out. And Frank said, Hulk Hogan is six foot six. I have a picture. I met him in Florida. I'm standing right next to him. I'm five foot ten. He's six foot two. That's it. He's no taller. Six foot two, 240 pounds, back in 1996. Okay. Wow, so Frank was uh, really criticizing you, making fun of you. No. Well, he's, he's exaggerating. Well, see, what they do in the WW, when it was the WWF and now it's the WWE, they exaggerate when they announce their height and weight or when they announce their weight or they say, you know, build. If you look online, if you look up the wrestler, it says build, height, and weight. Um some of it is exaggerated. A lot of it is. Hmm. For example, Andre the Giant was not seven foot four. He was hmm. maybe six eight or six nine. That's it. Because I remember watching WrestleMania three, 
and Hulk Hogan, if he's six foot two standing next to Andre, he'd look like a little guy. And he didn't look like a little guy. Andre looked like he was maybe five inches taller than him, six inches taller than him. Now, I will readily admit that they do exaggerate wrestlers' height and uh, weight. Andre the Giant was never seven foot five, which he was occasionally billed at. I don't think he was even seven foot four. I think he was seven two or seven three, depending at different points of his career, because he did keep growing. Um, Hulk Hogan, they claim still that his height is six foot seven. Hulk Hogan's six foot six. I mean, come on. Hulk Hogan is not six foot two. He's not. Come on. No one there's you take the biggest Hulk Hogan conspiracy theorist out there. There is no one out there claiming that Hulk Hogan is six foot two. Have you ever seen Hulk Hogan? He's not six foot two. My father is six foot two. Uh, Hogan has got a good, at least four inches on my father. Definitely not six two. He might be six four, six five now because even according to him, he's had a lot of back surgeries. Right. Okay. Now and he's, and he's, he's shrunk. He's talking about nineteen ninety six. Yeah, he might have been maybe a little bit smaller, but not definitely not six two. No, he's, he was not. six six. Yeah, six six. Absolutely. Um, and I'm a little disappointed that Curtis didn't say, hey, you know, look, you could take issue with Frank, but if there's one thing he knows about, it's Hulk Hogan's height. Now, um, I don't even know what this is here. I, I kind of lost track of Curtis's varying anti-Frank rants, but apparently, uh, I don't know, listen to this. Frank Morano has the only copy of the Swan Silver Tones. I'm not tired yet. He stole it from me. He admitted to him. He stole my copy. He has it. I know he, he's a clutterer. He never throws anything away. So I got to figure out how to finagle that from him so I can burn a copy for Bob so he can play it over and over and curse Frank out till the day he dies. Um, well, that's mostly true. Okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna dispute what Curtis is saying there. That's mostly true. But uh, if there's one thing about me that you should know, I have never, you know, I went. Sal, my friend Sal Greco, the police officer, who they're trying to drum out of the department now, they monitored all of his communications and they researched everybody that he tried to talk to and communicate with. And, oh, by the way, if you want to help Sal Greco in his efforts, you can go to the website helpthisnycop.com. That's helpthisnycop.com. Apparently, every time I mention the website, they get a big uh, uptick in interest. So let's keep that going. But um, they researched me, and it says, according to the NYPD, Frank Morano, zero convictions. Now, I don't think they were talking about me not believing in anything. I think they were talking about the fact that I have a pretty clean record. But that still keeps Curtis from, you know, doesn't keep Curtis from doing his thing. Make sure out there, uh, Rusty and Junior, that you're keeping an eye on the Murano household. Uh, Within a few hours, he'll be taking illegal bets on the Kentucky Derby. The crowd will be half in the bag on mint juleps before 12 noon, even though the race is at 7. And uh, I may have to call in a uh, tactical, uh, tactical rate of the Murano residence and declare it to be a wirehouse uh, of the six families of organized crime, the Murano crime family. Oh, please. And finally, you're a scout for the Curtis Lee show. You're scouting out the enemy. And in this case, the enemy is Frank Murano, Matt Blaze, Alex, who is their phone screener, 
and do everything to thwart, thwart this show. Everything. Whereas I only try to enhance Frank Morano and Matt Plays and Alex. There you have it. Uh, we'll take your calls in just a moment. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-WABC. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. We'll get to the phones in just a moment uh, at 800-848-9222. Three open lines if you want to jump on board. Uh, but first... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents breaking news. Uh, a breaking news story that we are following. Not much information about this, but there has been a magnitude 6.1 earthquake detected off of eastern Taiwan. Authorities say the Temblor was about 17 miles deep, and no damage has been reported thus far. So hopefully uh, that's good news. Um, If there are any updates on this, I will bring them to you throughout the course of the program. And as you should always do, uh, you're going to want to keep attuned to 77 WABC for all the latest news as it relates to this earthquake near Taiwan. So we'll be keeping an eye on that. We've got commendations coming up. I'm going to get to your calls in just a minute. You know, it's funny. As you know, I live with three cats, right? Bathsheba, Melchizedek, and Prissy. And my wife said to me the other day, you know, it looks like all of Bathsheba's cat insurance is covering all of her medication. It looks like they're giving us free reimbursement. Not free, but full reimbursement. She, she said, maybe you can mention that. On air. And I said, well, mention what? The fact that an insurance company is actually doing its job? That we're now at that point? That that's news? And she says, well, yeah. Usually I have to fight with them like crazy. So um, I will give them a shout out. Nationwide is who we use for Bathsheba's pet insurance. And they've been uh, they've been really great. Now, Melchizedek, unfortunately, is not eligible for pet insurance because he has diabetes or as Wilfred Brimley would call it, diabetes, which is a pre-existing condition and makes him uninsurable. Friday afternoon, I'm home, sleeping soundly, and it's around 1 o'clock, 1.30 in the afternoon, and my wife wakes me up. She says, and she usually doesn't wake me up unless you know she really needs to. She wakes me up on Friday afternoon and says something to the effect of, there's something wrong with Melky. That's Melchizedek's nickname, Melky. There's something wrong with Melky. He's walking around like he's hit his head. I have to take him to the emergency vet right away, so I need you to stay up with, with Carmine. Okay, great. You know, and Melky is very – he's not nice to a lot of people, but he's very close to both Rachel and, uh, and me, and he's affectionate with us, even if he's not affectionate with everybody else. So obviously my wife is concerned. And they take him to the veterinarian. He's on insulin, gets insulin twice a day for his diabetes. And so they, she takes him to the veterinarian. You don't even want to know the cost that is going into this. Thousands of dollars, thousands that we don't have because his normal vet was unavailable. We had to take him to this emergency veterinary hospital. And my wife comes home. 
And essentially, she says the vet thinks what might have happened is that he was diagnosed with diabetes about six years ago. And the vet says that he might have outgrown his diabetes, not only through the use of insulin, but through the use of the special diabetic cat food that we give him. And because his blood sugar levels are now normal, the insulin is keeping his blood sugar way too low and he's hypoglycemic. His blood sugar is too low, they think. But they tried to take his blood, and you know what an ordeal it is dealing with Melky at the vet, and they couldn't really get a proper level, so they can't say with sh- for sure. That was just their their best guess. They keep him 24 hours for observation. We pick him up Saturday night as we come back from Long Island, and he comes home and seems great, very affectionate with both of us, doing great. But they tell my wife, you're going to have to give him a probiotic, two probiotics, one for one you could put in his food and then another you're going to have to try and give him some other way orally and you're going to have to monitor his blood sugar well how do i do that here's a dipstick you have to monitor his urine well there are three cats that use the litter box how is she going to monitor his urine so this is a big issue and she tries to stay in her office where the litter box is and use the dipstick on the cat litter She's not able to get enough of a urine sample, even though she cleaned this litter box right away. And um, it was just uh, a very rough situation. So we're not sure how to properly monitor his blood sugar now. And he has no interest in taking this other probiotic, which smells like a combination of paint and Play-Doh. He has no interest in taking that. So we don't know what we're doing there. But... Hopefully, I mean, the best case scenario is that he's no longer diabetic and won't need insulin anymore. So fingers crossed that 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 is the case. Commendations coming up. Kevin J. Walsh from Forgotten New York is here. And I'm going to squeeze in uh, as many of your calls as we can here after the top of the hour. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Until next hour, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morning, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. We're going to do commendations in just a minute. But a bunch of you have been very patiently holding uh, for the last 20, 30 40 minutes. So I want to try and get to you, uh, get to as many of you as possible before we get to accommodations. Kevin Walsh is here. We're going to talk about Forgotten New York. And uh, Marlena Shivo is here. Hopefully they're all here enjoying the um, 24-hour-old pizza that we have on display in the pizza museum that is now the kitchen. Uh, let me begin with Joe in Ronkonkoma. Hello, Joe. Hey, Frank. Hope your wife had a wonderful Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I bet you do. <laughs> I was working last night, like I always am, and Curtis starts playing me, telling the jokes. So I'm getting all pissed off in my car, and I know he does this to know that I'm going to call in. And I'm sitting there, and I'm explaining, you know, you said what type of jokes you wanted us to say, and, you know, don't get, you know, too crazy. 
And he's saying how my jokes weren't funny. So, you know, I pulled in. and then he. Joe, first of all, Joe, I think your joke was funny. You should have stuck up for your and jokes. This was good material. <laughs> well, I I appreciate it, Frank. But like I said, I was basically... And I'd love to know the, the crazy, racist, anti-Semitic joke that you would have told if if we no, weren't censoring I you. I don't... First of all, I have a lot of Jewish friends, and number two, my mom would come down from heaven and smack me if I told a joke like that, because that's just not me. You know me that over a year, and uh, that's just not my... Uh, I don't do stuff like that. But um, like I said, I was just finding it funny to... Uh, He's just always, he's just a character, Curtis. That he is. Again, uh, but before I go, uh, that segment you were doing about Ed Koch, uh, I thought he was a great mayor, and I agree with you 100%, Frank. Just leave it alone. Who cares what his preferences was? And he's, he passed away. Let's respect him. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Have a great night, Frank. Thank you very much, Joe. Thank you. And, you know, I got one email, very thoughtful email from somebody that said, look, Ed Koch couldn't have gotten elected being an openly gay man at the time that he was elected to city council or to Congress or mayor. And maybe that's true, but Ed Koch still lived at a time when being gay was very acceptable. So if Ed Koch wanted to, you know, come out as, as gay, he could have, and nothing would have happened to him. He would not have been shunned, but he chose not to at any point in his life. So I think we should respect that. 800-848-9222. We're going to get to commendations in uh, just one minute. But first, let me say hello to Gary in Inwood. Hello, Gary. Good morning, Frank. Uh, You had mentioned shortly uh, a few minutes ago about this gentleman named Avery Brooks. Yes. uh, Screen caller. Yes. I had two unpleasant encounters with him when I was calling Curtis. You know, the usual, what's your name and where you're from? As soon as I would say Inwood, his brain shut down. He couldn't comprehend that. And he kept on saying the name over and over. He said, it's Inwood. He says, where is that? And I told him, it's in Manhattan. He said, that's what we'll go for. Forget Inwood. I said, Why don't you? I said, that's how everybody knows me, Gary from Inwood. He would, two encounters with him, he would not put the call through as Gary and in Inwood. And when Curtis picked up the phone, it was Gary in Manhattan. And I corrected Curtis immediately. I said, I told him what the, my, I had an unpleasant encounter with this man. And I stopped calling Curtis after that. I said, I don't want to go through this anymore. Yeah, no, no. Why, you should be able to embrace who you are. Be Gary from Inwood. Why do yeah, you he would to- never. He wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't go there. He wouldn't allow that at all. And I don't know what his problem was, what that was. Neither do I. Ne- neither do I. Maybe he's got something against the people of Inwood. I don't know. But look, Curtis, I mean, most people don't want to work with him on the weekend. So he takes anybody he can get. Uh, you know, he's wow. left. He takes with whatever's left. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Steve is in Bergenfield. Hello, Steve. Hello. Hello. Hi. Yes. How you doing? I'm never better. Okay. Well, as the Ronald Reagan once said, "There you go again, Frank. There you go again." Andre the Giant was not seven foot three. He was six foot eight, four hundred and twenty-five pounds. All right. Well, so and be it. I go and went years ago to all the hotels. But, but Steve, are we, are we just supposed to take your word for it? Do you have any documentary evidence on this? Any documentation? Did you measure? Did you measure Hulk Hogan? Did you tell him to stand still? Let me measure your height. You guys are just throwing numbers in the air. 
I have a picture standing next to him. I'm five foot ten. Right, well, send me my the head picture. Is above his, send, my head is above his shoulders. Send me the picture. My head and, is above his shoulders. Send me the picture, and we will analyze it. Wait a minute. Also, I okay. talked to roadies. That should be I it, right? I talked to roadies of The Undertaker, and they said some of these wrestlers wear lifts in their shoes. I, I don't doubt it. Uh, so if you send us the Hulk Hogan photo, we will have a t- team of experts analyze it and determine his true height. Sounds fair, right? Okay. Uh, Ralph in New Jersey. Hey, Ralph, are you voting in this election in the Philippines? There's a big election out there. Uh, I know. I know there is. But, you know, the, 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 uh, the voting process, yeah, and, and besides New York, it's really a horrible place to go to. And that's the only I'm, – I'm not going to the embassy in Washington, D.C. All right, so you're not, you're not voting. You're not voting. If you were voting, if you're not – if you were voting – would you vote for the son of uh, Ferdinand Marcos for, or the for, other for person? Marcos, right. Absolutely, for Marcos. Well, okay. see, if he loses uh, by I one vote. Wanna, I just want, okay. I just want to come in with that finally lifted the last mandate because I don't like to live in a police state. Let me repeat. I don't like to live in a police state where the police is called upon you if you don't wear the mask on the train or on the bus. Well, thank you, Ralph. You also do not like to live in a state where they have good phone reception. I can understand both of those. All right. Without further ado, it is time for The Other Side of Midnight presents Commendations. Yesterday was Mother's Day. I have to begin with a commendation for all of the mothers out there. Uh, Without our mothers, we literally would not be here. So I really think that is certainly cause for a commendation. And I want to give a special recognition and a special commendation, not only to my mother, Stephanie, uh, my stepmother, Elizabeth, my mother-in-law, Lynn, uh, but especially my wife, Rachel, who is mother to our five-month-old, Carmine. Uh, She is a wonderful mother, and uh, I thought she was a great wife. She's an even better mother than she is a wife. I also want to commend... The young lady whose uh, first Holy Communion I attended this past weekend, my cousin Harper, who is my second cousin once removed, which makes her my son's third cousin. And I was thinking, I don't know personally that I'm aware of any of my third cousins. And what a shame that is to grow up not knowing any of your third cousins. And I mean, you think about what a great thing a third cousin is. A third cousin is close enough of a relation that if you ever need an organ, you should turn to them. But it's distant enough of a relation that if you ever need to marry them, you can. So it's sort of the best of both worlds. Um, you can get an organ or a wedding license. So I'm glad that my son uh, will grow up having a relationship with his uh, third cousins. And uh, certainly congratulations to Harper on her first Holy Communion. It was great to be at her party on Saturday uh, where they had actually sushi and sashimi. I don't know a lot of communion parties that have sashimi. It was five stars, if you ask me. I want to give a commendation to Lester Wright. Lester Wright is a 100-year-old veteran who participated in the Seniors Masters Division at the Penn Relays last Saturday. He hit the track and set a world record in the 100-meter dash for his age group. Um, apparently, this 100-year-old man ran the race in 26.34 seconds, which is the fastest time ever recorded 
for a 100-year-old. Now, that is impressive. Commendation to you, Lester Wright. I also have to give a commendation. A lot of sports-related commendations today. just worked out that way. I also have to give a commendation to Dusty Baker. Uh, Dusty Baker's a great manager. I love Dusty Baker. I've been following him for years. And last Tuesday... With the Astros, he's currently the manager of the Houston Astros, or as we New Yorkers call them, the Houston Astros. Last Tuesday, Dusty Baker achieved his 2,000th win as a manager in Major League Baseball. And, I mean, he has had 44 combined seasons as a Major League player and a manager. He has seen it all, done it all. There's only a handful of managers that have won more games than Dusty Baker. And who knows? He may break. So he has now become the first black manager ever to win 2,000 games and the 12th manager in the history of Major League Baseball to do it. Um, So you have a few managers that are ahead of him. Bobby Cox. um, Tony La Russa. Jim Leland, Connie Mack, but this is a phenomenal achievement. And anybody that can stick around baseball long enough to win 2,000 games, they're doing something right. And I love Dusty Baker because he's very old school. He's an old school manager, and uh, he doesn't rely on saber metrics like a lot of these modern managers do. I'm sure they utilize it because that's the nature of the game these days, but he's old school. He goes with his gut. He goes with his instincts, and that to me is a mark of a good manager. I want to commend former WABC radio talk show host Deacon Kevin McCormick. He used to formerly be the co-host of Religion on the Line, a great guy, a good friend of mine, and the principal of Zaverian High School in Bay Ridge. He has now been appointed the superintendent of schools for the Diocese of Brooklyn by Bishop Robert Brennan. This is tremendous. So this appointment becomes effective July 1st. I can't think of a better choice. Deacon McCormick is a guy that loves the church and loves education. And for him to, he's so perfectly suited for this job that blends both of those passions of his. I can't think of a better choice. So I not only commend uh, Deacon McCormick for getting this job, but I commend the Brooklyn Archdiocese for their wise, wise selection on this. I want to commend Matea Roach. It all happened on Friday. Her incredible Jeopardy winning streak of 23 straight games, earning $560,983 came to an end. She lost Friday's show by $1. I said as we were going into it, I said, see, this is unusual. There's a player that can catch her. I said, I have a feeling she's not going to get it this time. She lost by a dollar. What a run. What an incredible run. 23 straight games. This woman is only 23 years of age. What I wouldn't have given to have her intellect at 23. And a lot of people didn't like her mannerisms the way that she spoke or some of her gestures. I loved it. I I thought she was great. I'm going to be rooting for her again in the Tournament of Champions. And um, she had a great playing style. 
I like that she wagered small on Double Jeopardy and on Final Jeopardy, but I liked her mannerisms a lot. Um, so I uh, I don't know. I don't know uh, what the future holds for her. But she is the highest profile Generation Zer ever to appear on this show. She's created a whole new fashion sense with her blazers. And um, I uh, I think she's great. And I'm really, really proud of her. And uh, I'm sorry to see her go. I'm going to miss her. I want to commend Rich Strike, the winner of the Kentucky Derby. An 80-to-1 long shot. Again, an 80-to-1 long shot. If you would have placed $100 on Rich Strike, you would have won $8,000. This is what the Kentucky Derby is all about. You know, I have sort of, um, I'm very conflicted about horse racing because I love watching it. I love betting on it. I, I used to love going to the, the races. I used to love going to the Atlantic City and seeing the races in the horse room with my Uncle Carmine. But then I have real concerns about cruelty to horses and things of that nature. But to me, this is what the Kentucky Derby is all about. A 80 to 1 long shot that no one ever saw coming. Winning on a gray skies day like this is just incredible. Uh, so a commendation not only to the horse, Rich Strike, but a commendation to the horse's jockey and the horse's trainer as well. Um, really just an incredible athletic achievement. Make no mistake. I also want to uh, com- commend Chili Peppers. Chili peppers, which I enjoy eating, by the way, could be the secret ingredient for beating all forms of cancer. This is great news. A new study from researchers at Marshall University say that capsaicin, the substance which gives chili peppers their hot and spicy taste, can also keep multiple forms of cancer from growing. So the biggest hurdle that scientists have to overcome here It's finding the best way of delivering capsaicin to patients. Researchers say their their report is the first to examine sustained release formulations of capsaicin as an anti-cancer drug. So um, hopefully this is a big breakthrough that helps a lot of people avoid cancer in the future or get a better treatment for cancer in the future. I think this is great news. So I'm giving a commendation to Chili Peppers. I also want to commend this spunky dog... Bailey. You know, it seems like a lot of dogs that make news in the manner that I'm about to describe are named Bailey. I'm not sure why that is, but this is not the first Bailey that I've commended. Bailey is a seventh-month-old German Shepherd Akita mix. And Bailey broke out of his owner's Red Hook yard last Friday and took a deep uh, took a dip in the East River close to IKEA. Soon after. So they tracked this dog down. And he ran ran away over a week ago. He was found safe on Sunday after sending rescuers on a multi-state hunt that started in the East River and ended at a Home Depot in New Jersey. You hear what I just said? This dog ran away from home in Brooklyn and ended up in New Jersey. So this researcher who was doing work on a barge spotted Bailey 
swimming around at around noon that day and got on his paddleboard to help the pup get back to shore. But Bailey, who's very fearful of humans and has behavioral issues, kept swimming away. The man was eventually able to herd the dog back to shore where he collapsed on the rocks and spent several hours sunbathing before vanishing once again. They were trying to figure out where he was so they could set up some feeding stations and maybe trap him. There was nothing at all, no sightings. A few days later, Zucker plastered missing posters around Red Hook. Zucker's the owner. And soon got a tip that Bailey had been spotted near Henry Street and Hamilton Avenue, close to the Hewell Carey Tunnel entrance. Then he gets another message that he's in the tunnel. This dog was walking around the Hewell Carey Tunnel. Well, the dog is now home safe and sound. And I imagine the dog was very frightened over the course of the last week. And I don't want to condone running away, but I'm glad they were, Bailey's home now. I mean, he seems he seems like he's a dog that's very much loved. And I want to give a posthumous commendation to actor, character actor Mike Haggerty. This is a great character actor. He's one of these guys that if you saw his face, you probably wouldn't know his face. But you would say, oh, I know that guy from Friends or Curb Your Enthusiasm or, uh, you know, any other of the roles that he was on. Um, And he was a wonderful actor. And I didn't know anything about his personal life, but he apparently was a great guy. And he had a love of his hometown, Chicago, and a love of his family that apparently were the cornerstones of his life. He played the... Building superintendent, Mr. Trigger, on on Friends. He was on the HBO comedy Somebody Somewhere. Uh, he was on Boston Legal, including in one of my favorite episodes. Um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Cheers, Community, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Seinfeld, Shameless, Grey's Anatomy. Uh, really loved being on sitcoms. And it showed. He was very funny. So a posthumous commendation to Mike Haggerty. And uh, our best to, and his, our condolences to his family and to all his fans. All right. Without further ado, we're going to talk about Forgotten New York with Kevin J. Walsh in just a moment. Uh, Forgotten New York is a great website that I'm a big fan of, but they also do these Forgotten New York tours. We'll get into it with Kevin J. Walsh straight ahead. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. It's up to you whether it's a manic one. or um, We do this show from the heart of New York City. But wherever you listen, uh, chances are you know something about New York. And I hear all the time 
from people that have either already moved out of New York to places like Florida, Pennsylvania, the Carolinas, wherever, or that people are thinking about moving out of New York because in their view, the New York that they fell in love with, the New York that they grew up with, may not exist anymore. Well, I am very, very pleased to be joined in studio by a gentleman who is an expert on the New York of yesteryear. Kevin J. Walsh is the founder of Forgotten New York, a website and a series of tours dedicated to the things not covered in the standard guidebooks. He's also the author of the book, Forgotten New York, Views of a Lost Metropolis. Kevin, thanks so much for coming in today. Hey, Frank, it's good to be here. You know, I'm, I'm amazed to be on WABC. I'm, I'm sitting here with the ghosts of uh, Dan Ingram and Bob Grant and uh, Don Imus, and I, it's almost hard to believe I'm here. Well, hey, well, don't do anything to let their ghosts down uh, <laughs> while you're here. So uh, t- tell folks, if they're not familiar with your website, which is a terrific website, what exactly is Forgotten New York? Well, uh, it began back in uh, 1998 when I decided to start taking pictures all over town of – basically, it's about infrastructure. It's about the things you see in the street, the lampposts, the mailboxes, uh, and uh, out-of-the-way neighborhoods, parks that uh, don't get in the guidebooks. Uh, I decided to do uh, a website and a a book, later on a book. Um, about the things that are not covered in all the New York City guidebooks, such as uh, the cast iron lampposts that you see in the street or the the, uh, the old mailboxes that were attached to telephone poles. And it gradually grew and extrapolated over the years into a little bit of an architecture site, a little bit of a New York City history site. I touch on all that, and I throw in a little bit of personal anecdotes along the way just to keep things light. Um so we started out in 1998. We did some uh, photography all over New York City. And amazingly enough, the genesis of Forgotten York, the website, also is uh, was the genesis of the TV show The Big Bang Theory. And I'll explain that wow. to you. Uh, when I, Forgotten York began an idea in my head when I was sitting in my office at Publishers Clearinghouse, the direct mail uh, giant in Port Washington. Um, And they had an art director there. His name was Steve Malaro. Now, Steve Malaro and a couple of his friends had uh, published a website way back in the, in the stone age of, uh, of uh, websites, Mm -hmm. the internet in the 1990s, they called it Stet magazine. Stet. 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 S-T-E-T. It's a printing term that means leave things the way they are. Uh, I've always been working in the printed in the print sphere. Uh, I've been a copywriter, um, a mechanical artist, a proofreader. Uh, and right now I'm working at a uh, publisher called Marquis who's who, um, Steve, when he learned that I was going to do a website, forgotten New York, I had sketched it out on a pad, what I wanted to do with the categories and everything. He gave me a little bit of software called, uh, Adobe page mill. And the first few pages, first, year or two of uh, Forgotten York was composed on page mill. To cut a long story short, Steve Malaro later left uh, Publishers Clearinghouse. He moved to California. He got involved in the television industry. And for many years, he was what they call the showrunner for the Big Bang Theory. One of the most popular shows on network television for a long time. So 
you know, forgotten New York and Big Bang Theory are sort of twins. In a <laughs> That's way very speaking. funny. They're cousins. So what are the criteria for something that you might choose to feature on uh, Forgotten New York, the website? You, you mentioned the old-fashioned mailboxes attached to telephone poles, the old-fashioned lampposts. Is it just something that used to be but generally no longer is? What are the criteria for it's, inclusion? Uh, it's something that points back to the past of New York City. Uh, I'll give you a little example. Uh, in Greenpoint, if you walk around Greenpoint in Brooklyn, the northern end of Brooklyn, if you look up at the corners of the buildings, and you can do this in Manhattan too, but I'm going to use Greenpoint as an example, uh, there are the street names are carved into the buildings because that's how they identified streets long before they started mm. posting street signs on lampposts and telephone poles and all that. Way back in the 1800s, they used to carve the names into the sides of the buildings. So if you're unfamiliar with Greenpoint, I know many of the listeners are, the streets are arranged in alphabetical order from Ash, the A Street, down to Key, the Q-U-A-Y, the Q Street. Well, some of the, some of the uh, 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 carved, carved signs on the, on the buildings have simply a letter, M Street, N Street. Uh, because that was the former naming scheme of the streets of Greenpoint. Instead of let, uh, names in alphabetical order, they simply named them letters. There are also other buildings that have names, such as Clinton, uh, Prospect, and that was the naming scheme, scheme even before that. So if you walk around the streets of New York City and you look up at the corner of the buildings and you see that there was a sign of the name of the street carved into the building, sometimes that's that name is not the current name of the street. Oh, it's interesting. the former name. That's how you can tell. That's a little bit of New York City history there. That's pretty neat. Uh, we're talking with Kevin Walsh. Uh, if you want to check out his website, it's a terrific website. There's a lot of great uh, content on there. Um, you can just go to forgotten-ny.com. That's forgotten-ny.com. When did you start doing these tours? Well, the tours started in June of 1999. Uh, our first tour, we did Broadway. But I don't mean Broadway in Manhattan. <laughs> I mean Broadway in Brooklyn. And we met on Kent Avenue and Broadway in Brooklyn, we walked almost the entire length of the street under the elevated train. Uh, we point, I pointed out as we walked some old buildings. I give the history of the building, uh, some you know ancient so advertising signage. I pointed out where that was. That's what you get with a forgotten New York tour. You're not going to get the usual, uh, the usual obvious things that a lot. Of, I'm not putting them down. No, of course, yeah. Uh, a lot of the obvious things that. Right, you're not York taking people to the Empire State Building no. and things like that. No, saying... although I do call the Empire State Building the king of all buildings on mm -hmm. the website. That's how, that's, that's how I refer to it. Now, you mentioned um, advertising signage for products that may no longer be there. That's actually what prompted uh, my interest in uh, talking to you and because we were taking calls from listeners about signs that they've encountered for products that are no longer there. And since then, people have been sending me images of uh, different things that they're encountering. One person just last week sent me a John Lindsay uh, sign. That's a Flatbush. It, it, that's exactly right. 
Yeah. Um, what What are some examples of signage that's out and about in New York that people might find that for products that don't necessarily exist anymore? Well, Frank, you're going to see these all over New York City. There's uh, and it's beautiful typography on these signs. They are white signs with blue lettering in sans serif in sans serif type. Rex Cole. Now, Rex Cole was an uh, was a manufacturer of refrigerators, uh, and his brand of refrigerators were uh, produced in the 1930s. He had a tremendously large uh, showroom in Bay Ridge at Fourth Avenue and 64th Street. That building is still there, although it's been uh, it's been renovated, so it doesn't look like it does in the old photos. But all all over town, there are built there were buildings in the 30s that uh, purchased. Uh, the Rex Cole brand refrigerator, and uh, they put the sign on the building outside, uh, on the uh, overlooking the sidewalk. And and there, I I was on a walk on Second Avenue just a couple of weeks ago at Sixth Street, East Sixth Street, where the old Fillmore used to be. Mm-hmm. It's uh, there are two of them right there on the corner. Um, but you can spot the. I've seen them in the Bronx. I've seen them in Brooklyn. I've seen them. I haven't seen them in Staten Island yet, but they're all over town. Another frequent painted sign, and this goes back to the 1800s, the late 1800s, is for Castoria. Mm. Do you remember commercials for Fletcher's Castoria when you were a kid on I, television? Actually, I don't know that I do, actually. Uh, there was a, a mild children's stomach remedy, and it was heavily, heavily advertised on buildings back in the – from 1890 through 1920. And uh, the guy who invented this stuff was Charles H. Fletcher, and he had this florid signature style, and it was on all the buildings. They also was the slogan, children cry for Fletcher's Castoria. No <laughs> doubt the stuff was horrible tasting. But uh, I think it's still available if you, if, you, if you go to a drugstore, they can point it out to you. But it's uh, nowhere near as popular as it used to be. Did they – was that a lot more common as a means of advertising back then – painting the advertisement on buildings itself rather than uh, having something like a billboard? Well, you know why uh, painted ads were so popular? It's because in midtown Manhattan, there used to be elevated trains all over the place. Mm. On 2nd Avenue, 3rd Avenue right here used to be one. 2nd Avenue, 6th Avenue, 9th Avenue. And people would paint ads on the buildings so that people people would see them on the trains going by. Interesting. Interesting. When did the elevated trains in Manhattan – Go away. Um, the Second Avenue well disappeared in 1940. Uh, the Third Avenue hung on for a, a while. It ended in 1955, and the Bronx section from uh, the Hub North to uh, Gun Hill Road lasted until 1973. Wow. Um, this, the Ninth Avenue and the Sixth Avenue wells were displaced by the I- IND subway, which uh, began operations in the 1930s. The L's came down in anticipation of the IND opening. A couple of weeks ago, my wife and I were driving into Manhattan, and on the BQE approaching the UL Carey Tunnel, we saw this uh, big sign for Bruno Trucking, which is uh, no longer there. Now, something like that, why does no one take down the sign? Why do they leave up a sign for a defunct business? What's the sense in advertising a business that no longer exists? Um. Well, I think in, it's in that sign. I know where it is. It's on Second Avenue in Hamilton. Uh, it's pure inertia, you know. They, they used right, to, who's going to do it? That that used to be a hotbed. That area uh, they call it Gowanus. There used to be 
all kinds of huge neon electric signs. One for Kentile flooring, which mm-hmm. no longer exists. That one lasted decades after Kentile went out of business. They just tore that down a couple of years ago. There was another one called Eagle Clothes. Eagle Clothes was a popular men's brand. There was a huge sign on 3rd Avenue and 6th Street in Park Slope. And these are all on the website. You can search them, and you can see what they look like. How much research do you end up doing about the different infrastructure or the different advertisements or the different anything that you end up encountering? Do you end up doing a lot of homework assignments based on things that you discover? Absolutely. I've had to buy an entire bookshelf to hold the books about New York City that I have purchased over the past quarter century. Uh, and I, I, whenever a new book about New York comes out, I always buy it as long as it's, you know, as long as it has something to do with what I do. So you, you've been at this for over 23 years now. What, um, what drives you? I mean, clearly this is a huge passion for you. What sparks your interest to the extent that you've dedicated more than two decades of your life to it? I've often asked myself that. And the answer is, why do you like pizza? Why do you like chocolate ice cream? You can't really explain it. Mm-hmm. It tastes good to you. Well, I do it. I enjoy it. You know, uh, I, I, I've always had a fascination for it. Uh, the, the seeds were planted in 1962 when every lamppost in my neighborhood was replaced. Uh, they used to be these ornate uh, cast iron lampposts uh, that were colored. They're colored brown. They're shaped like bishop's crooks. You've seen them around. Sure, absolutely. In, you've seen new versions that have appeared. Well, I know where all the old ones are. And in the 1960s, there was a wholesale replacement, and I was five and six years old, and I remembered it. I knew it. I had this fascination for lampposts. I know it. I know maybe it's, uh, you know, I I can't tell you why, but I used to fill uh, tablets with drawings of lampposts. Wow. Um, One of the things that used to be ubiquitous in all five boroughs of New York, now it's sort of like an endangered species is payphones, number one, and two, is sort of the the cousin of payphones, the phone booth. I can't tell you the last time I saw a phone booth. I don't know what Superman would do today if he <laughs> needed to change real quick. Um, do you have any idea how many payphones are, are still out there? Yeah, there are three proper phone booths that you enter and go into and, and dial a phone. There are three of them left. They're on West End Avenue on the west side. They're at 66th Street. I think a couple, another one a couple of blocks away in 69th, and there's another way uptown on 100th Street uh, or in the, the low hundreds. But if you go into private you know, or public places, you'll, you'll still see some booths. If you go to the New York Public Library, you'll still see some phone booths that you can go into and close the door, and they're still there. Uh, so in terms of f- pay phones or phone booths that are on the street, you could still find at least three phone booths in Manhattan. There are three out there on the sidewalk, only three. There are no more left in the city. That's amazing. Now, That's there, amazing. there are the one, the small ones that you stand up next to and talk out in the open. But I'm talking, you and I right. are talking Old about. Old school phone booth. Yeah. Superman stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. So, I mean, look, there could easily come a day in the near future when there are no more phone booths in New York. Do you get sad when those days come, when it's the end of an era for a certain type of lamp post or a certain type of mailbox or a certain type of phone booth? What I get sad about is when something is actually landmarked, uh, i.e. protected. Uh, New York City has a uh, Landmarks Preservation Commission, 
and they do landmark things such as like they do buildings. Sometimes they can't help it. The uh, something they landmark comes down anyway. That happened with um, uh, a, a post down on Bridge Street and State Street in New York City. And I'm always sad when they they replaced it for whatever reason. I don't know why. Maybe 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 it was a traffic hazard or something. Mm. Um, uh, we're talking with Kevin Walsh. He's the founder of Forgotten New York. Give us a, an idea of some of the other Forgotten New York tours uh, that you uh, that you offer. I know you uh, alluded to the Broadway in Brooklyn tour. What are some other Forgotten New York tours? Well, uh, we've done over 150. Now, there are some places we visited once, and there are some places we've been to multiple times. The most popular tour I've ever done, in which we attracted 65 people, Right. was in 2014. It was the anniversary of uh, the World's Fair in Flushing Meadows. Now, I've done that tour about five or six times. Now, I should I, they'll kill me if I don't mention it. So I do them in uh, partnership with uh, Historical Society. I'm involved with Greater Historia Historical Society. I'm also involved with Newtown Historical Society. But uh, we visited neighborhoods in all five boroughs. We, we, we'd like to get to Staten Island more often. Uh, and we haven't been able to do them since uh, the fall of 2019. Uh-huh, because of the pandemic. Yeah. Now, later this year, I'm thinking about getting back into it. Uh, depends on how this new variant goes. Great. Now, something like the World's Fair tour. Um, so many listeners, when we talked about the World's Fair recently, including our owner, John Katzmatsidis, called in with memories about wh- how special the 1964 World's Fair is was for them. And I'm wondering if somebody wanted to go and just look at what remains of the nineteenth uh, of the of the fairground. What should people be looking for? Um, there are things scattered all over the park. There, there is a column that was uh, given as a gift from uh, Jordan by. Uh, the king, uh, who was what was the name of the king? Was uh, king Hussein. King Hussein, yeah, he uh, gifted uh, the fair with a column that was back from the Roman days that that they had erected. Uh, that's in the shadow of the Unisphere. It's close to the Unisphere. Uh, there are relics from the 1939-40 World's Fair, the New York Pavilion, in which the panorama is is uh, exhibited. That is from the 1939-40 World's Fair. Um, so they're scattered all over the park. You just have to know where they are. So there's still relics from the 1939 and 1940 World's Fair. Yes. That's incredible. That's incredible. What is something um, in Manhattan, for instance, that people may pass on a regular basis on, the, on their way to work or on their way to school or on their way home, but they won't notice unless someone like you points it out to them? All right. Um there's a shop called Village Cigars on 7th Avenue and Christopher Street. Yes, I've, I've been there, yes. Now, you, um, if you go in the front door and you look on the sidewalk, there is a little triangle in the street. It says uh, this uh, is not for public purposes. It's from the Hess family, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that comes from the fact that when 7th Avenue was extended downtown to accommodate the IRT subway, they had to condemn a lot of property. Well, that little triangle was still in the hands of the Hess family, and it was never uh, sold to the city. 
and it was it was still in the hands of the Hess family for many years. So who that owns that small triangle? Triangle now. Oh, I think the I think I think the uh, the, the city finally the got landlord it. of the Village Cigars Building. Oh, got it. Okay. Um, so tell me about the book. The the book Forgotten New York: Views of a Lost Metropolis. What are people going to find in there? Well, first of all, the amazing thing about this book is that you know how it is when you want to publish a book. You have to send it out to 20 publishers, 25 publishers, sure. and get and, and get 20, 20 to 25 rejection letters. HarperCollins came to me and said, do you want to do a book? And I thought about it for three seconds. Yeah. I said, sure, I do. Um, the thing about the book, it has 650 entries, hundreds and hundreds of, pay, of, of uh, photographs, and people – you know, it's it's 15 years after the book was published, and people still, it, it's still selling well. It sells several cop, several copies a week. Uh, it's never made the Times bestseller list, but it's been a steady seller for 15 years. It's it's amazing. That's terrific. Do people send you a lot of submissions for things that you might want to feature on the website? I get suggestions. Uh, I do have people who help me with the site. Uh, there is a professor at Turo College. His name is Sergey Kadinsky. And since I wanted this weekend off, he wrote this weekend's uh, Sunday page. I do a, a lengthy Sunday page every week, and he did it this week. It's about uh, several of the superblocks and parks that you find in Crown Heights. Yeah, I, I saw that. So tell folks about that. What is a superblock, and what might someone see on a superblock in Crown Heights? Well, the uh, superblock was closed off to the public, and that's happening a lot. Uh, you know, 34th Avenue in Queens was closed off uh, and Willoughby Avenue in Brooklyn was closed off to give people room to walk and walk their dogs and ride their bikes and whatever. Uh, the super block was a, an idea that was first conceived back in the 60s and 70s. And they, they closed it off and there's a park in the middle of the block. And, you know, wow. that's there's also uh, back the in idea the, being that the residents will benefit from no vehicular traffic. Yeah. yeah. And uh, also there were uh, smaller parks that appeared in Crown Heights back in the early 1900s and late 1800s because uh, Prospect Park was uh, a, a fair distance away from Crown Heights. And so they wanted to give the people out there a chance to, to get some nature and, and go into a park. And that's how parks like Brower Park and Saratoga Park developed. Brower Park is where the Children's Museum is. Uh, I know um, you did a recent post on uh – the street where the Mother Cabrini street sign is. What was what's special about that intersection, and where is that? Well, I just thought it was odd. Now, I, I'm I'm not being critical, but I thought it was odd that they they named that corner for Mother Cabrini because there's already a lengthy street in northern Manhattan called Cabrini Boulevard that was named back in the 30s, 1938. Uh, it so happens, though, on Third Avenue and 19th Street that uh, Cabrini Hospital was nearby, and uh. Uh, they it's it's been closed for several years but uh, they decided the city decided to mark the corner uh with uh, back in 2019 2020 i i have the exact date on the on the page uh you know where the mother cabrini, mother cabrini statue is i've never seen it but it's supposed to be up i've never uh, seen it I, no i know it was a big controversy at the time i think it was going to be in brooklyn <laughs> But I don't know where specifically. Um, we'll talk with Kevin Walsh. He's uh, with the, a website called Forgotten New York. You can check out the website and even get the book through there at forgotten-ny.com. I remember about 15 years ago, maybe a little more, there was an article in the New York Times about Manhattan's last unpaved street. I think it was a street called 
Sylvan Place? I, I think it was called Broadway Alley, but again, oh, Broadway, I, Broadway Alley. Yeah, half of it is unpaved, half of it is paved. Oh, okay. And so <laughs> is is that is that street still unpaved to uh, this day? It's private street, so I can't get in anymore. I gotcha. Okay. Uh, there's another one, Franklin Place, has uh, like very old uh, paving stones on it, and and I think Sylvan Place in Harlem, uptown near Montmorris Park, uh, that too uh, is lacking pavement. Uh, what is in your adventures of the last 22 years doing this? What's been the most interesting thing that you've discovered, most interesting thing that you've seen, something that's really caused you to say, wow? Um, sometimes when I can uh, happen upon uh, cemeteries that I didn't know existed. There's a cemetery at the, right next to the Staten Island Expressway on Richmond Road that is only visible uh, during the winter because of the foliage. Really? Yeah. Wow. I, I forget the name of it, but whenever I can discover an old burying ground or uh, places where there used to be a cemetery and there's still some stones there, it's amazing. That is. Uh, Kevin Walsh, thanks for coming in. Appreciate the time. And uh, if people are interested in this, I certainly want to encourage them to check out the website, forgotten-ny.com, and uh, they could check out the book, which is available there or wherever books are sold, Amazon or other book websites as well. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Frank. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you can give me a call, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Marlena Schiavo joining me in the 4 o'clock hour. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead. Frank Marano, 77, This is Empire State of Mind, part three, if you can believe it. Uh, 800-848-9222. Marlena Schiavo joining me in about 10 minutes. Hey, uh, you're going to want to stay tuned to the 77 WABC early news beginning at 5 a.m. And then the uh, Bernie and Sid show from 6 to 10. Uh, They have an action-packed show. Um, In fact, I don't think they usually have this many guests when there's two of them there. But today they're loaded for bear. Uh, my colleague, Curtis Sliwa, will be on at 640. You could bet he's going to be bashing me for something. Uh, Rich Lowry will be on at 740. And Governor Sarah Palin, who is running for Congress in Alaska, she's going to be on at 840. And Bill Donahue is going to be on at uh, 9 o'clock. Uh, he's the president of the Catholic League. He's certainly he's one of the best radio guests there are, actually. In fact... I'm not going to have them on right away because I don't want to look like I'm just copying what they do. But it's been far too long since we've had Bill Donahue on. 
Uh, so I'm going to have to get him on sooner rather than uh, rather than later. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Tom is in Brooklyn. Hello, Tom. Morning, Frank. Uh, we were talking nostalgia. Oh, my family, I love it, man. It's wow. Thanks. Uh, my family had my family had a machine shop in East New York, and uh, we owned a lot of buildings. My father was a junk collector, and uh, when we were cleaning up, when we had to sell the buildings and stuff, um, clean up the basements. I found four or five old fire coal boxes, and they were really nice. Oh, that's you know? cool. So what did you guys do with them? Actually, we sold everything. You know, he had a guy come in and sold. We, we had uh, old cast iron uh, facades from the buildings, some of those buildings. They were all cast iron. They, they went between the windows and stuff. They were really cool. And uh, two or three old streetlights, the ones that guy was talking about, the old ornate ones. Well, that's neat. I love that stuff. And so, we had a bunch of signs uh, uh, from the antiques as well. We had plethora of antique stuff. Tons of it. Dial phones. We had rotary phones. Outstanding. Cool. That's outstanding. Of, so I want to say a couple of things. If you're all right, you got time? Yeah, I mean, within reason. No? I mean, I only have an hour left yeah, of the yeah, show. I, I hope you won't go over that. No, I won't do an hour. I just wanted to talk about it. Curtis's call screener. He was a little curt and very low energy. He was almost rude to me the other night. Almost sorry. rude. Oh, that's a nice almost. improvement over how he treats most people. All right, yeah. Uh, by the way, the capsaicin is also good for muscle pain relief. They make a rub out of it. That you talk about those peppers. Oh, is that right? Good to know. So you prevent yeah. cancer yeah. and present a, prevent a muscle ache all in the same yeah. product. I like it. All right. I have two jokes. You ready? I, I I don't know. We'll see. All right. If you introduce your wife, well, if somebody introduces his wife and his sister, and only one woman is standing there, you're definitely a hillbilly. Okay. That's funny. That's right. funny. That's a little offensive. You know, oh, I'm sorry about that. I, you know, I was thinking about it. You know, you know you're a big avid reader. You know, I was reading this article the other day, and they said that sex, drugs, rock and roll, and talk show radio is very unhealthy, and they recommended giving something up. So I gave up reading. <laughs> <laughs> not bad, Tom. Not great, but not bad. Russell is in the Bronx. Hello, Russell. Oh, uh, this is Ross from the Bronx. Oh, excuse me, Russ. I apologize. Yeah, that's okay. Thank you. Um, I'm very interested in your last guest. I'm holding in my hand right now this book that I've had for many years. It's called Appleton's Dictionary of New York and its vicinity. Uh, has maps and illustrations. This is the centennial edition from 1889. It costs 30 cents. And this would be like a handbook. If you had come to New York back in the uh, late 1800s, it would tell you everything about the city. And it's, it's sometimes it's actually funny. I'm reading about Italians. I'm Italian, so I, <laughs> I can read this stuff. It says they are uh, commonly sober, but when they do become intoxicated, it is rarely uh, certain they will quarrel. And in many, the print is so tiny here, rarely it will, it will end with fatal results. It is mistaken to suppose that the majority of organ grinders uh, strolling about the city are usually Italians, but this is not true. These nuisances are mostly Germans. Ah, oh, good. Okay. Well, I'm glad we cleared the Italian's name there. It's full of uh, advertisements for the petite umbrella, uh, uh, things like Tarrant's effervescent salsa apparent. And uh, pictures of different places around the city, some which no longer exist, uh, buildings, and uh, has this, these fold-out maps. The book is in such delicate, delicate condition at the moment of all the outlying vicinities well, of the city. And that's I, great, Russ. Sounds like a real I, treasure. 
I, I, I got to tell you, your, your friend would probably, this last guest, Kevin Walsh, probably would have been very interested, or perhaps he's aware of it. Yeah, I'm sure he's still. I'm, I'm sure he's still listening uh, down the hall, Russ. But I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be sure to pass that on to him. Enjoy that, though. I'll treasure just, that. Just, just quickly, um, a friend of mine was in college in Kansas. Hello. Yes. Uh, yeah, and he, uh, um, he, uh, he found it in an attic in the dormitory. And uh, every time I went to his house, I'd be reading it. And he says, you know, Ross, why don't you just take the books I've had for many years? It's a very interesting book. Yeah, I can imagine. It certainly sounds like that, Russ. Thank you. And, uh, again, that is Manhattan in New York, not Manhattan, Kansas, from what uh, what we're told. Now, uh, by the way, in the series of rotating hosts that are on from 12.15 to 1 every every day – Last week it was – who was it last week? I think it was uh, James Golden. No, it was Lydia last week. Lydia last week, James Golden the week before that, and Curtis the week before that. Uh, this week, starting today, it's going to be uh, Dick Morris, who has a very popular show on the weekend. He's going to be on all this week starting at 12.15. Uh, so that's going to be interesting. Uh, Marlena Shivo is here. We're going to talk to her about a wide variety of things in just a minute. She is, uh, of course, a mother of two. I'll ask her how her Mother's Day was we had a fun Mother's Day, Rachel's first Mother's Day as an actual mother. She had said, you know, Rachel's like me in that she's not necessarily that into gifts, but she's really into experiences and doing things. So she had said weeks ago that what she wanted to do on Sunday for Mother's Day was have a picnic in the park. So we did that. What a mistake that was. I mean, it was freezing. There was wind like crazy. I think we would have been much better off having a cup of coffee in the park. But uh, it was it was nice. At least we could say we did it. We had a picnic in the park. She was a little resentful that Father's Day generally seems to have nicer weather than Mother's Day does. And she thought maybe that was some sort of latent misogyny. But uh, it is what it is. Hey, you know the other thing that was interesting? When I went to buy Rachel's... Um, Mother's Day card the other day. I go to a Hallmark store, and what do I see them selling at the register? Lapel pins. Now, I'm a sucker for lapel pins. I can't help myself. What is a lapel pin? The Ukrainian flag. Now, I'm not against if people want to wear the Ukrainian flag. God bless you. And I'm sure a dollar or whatever goes to the Ukrainian humanitarian relief effort. Great. My issue is this. They don't even sell American flag lapel pins at this Hallmark store, but they're selling Ukrainian flag lapel pins? I can't help but think maybe we're getting a little carried away with this Ukrainian stuff. If we're selling and people are buying Ukrainian flag lapel pins, but you can't even in that same store buy an American flag lapel pin. It just strikes me as a little strange. Marlena Shivo is here for the next hour. You don't know what can happen, but I will assure you, Business is about to pick up. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Until next hour, your influence counts. So you This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano.
is The Other Side of Midnight. I am Frank Moreno. Thank you for tuning in and starting your Monday with me. There's nobody that I'd rather start my Monday with than Marlena Shivo. She is uh, one of the great wits of our time, probably one of the great wits of any time. Uh, she has a, um, a, a an occasionally biting sense of humor, and she is a kindred observer of world affairs and has a way of making you realize just how insane everything that's happening in the world at large is. And she, of course, is a a mother of two. So for those of you that are celebrating a Mother's Day week or celebrate Mother's Day the Monday after the weekend, we thought it might be an appropriate day to have a Marlena Monday. Hello, Marlena. Hello, Frank. How are you? I'm doing great. Good. I'm glad you're doing great. I actually know how you're doing because I heard you talk about it for the first couple hours of the show. Thank you. Um, and we have some house cleaning to do. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, on some of the things that you were talking about earlier. Oh, like boy. The I co- love this. Just a quick take on the Koch Bridge. I don't want to get right into the whole Koch controversy thing. All I want to say is the naming of bridges doesn't even work because I think if you talk to any New Yorker, they don't even call it that. They didn't even call it the Queensboro Bridge when it was that. Right. It's the 59th Street Bridge. But, but you know what? Again, and I, I think it's so silly debating these bridge renamings. I, I think it's such a waste of time. But, I mean, this is a bit much. This, uh, New York Times Sunday, yeah. above the fold. Guy's dead 10 years. Let him, let, him, let him go. I mean, they're becoming the bottom peters. I don't know. So, okay. So there's that. There is that. Okay. Um, Check. Now, um, the head that the woman in Texas, the, the antique right. head. Now, I would Dennis. sell it. In a heartbeat, um, if if it was going to render any sort of like decent money. Plus, I'm not someone like you who likes to take. Yeah, you don't like clutter. Don't I've like... noticed that at your house. Uh, it's very neat. No, I do not like clutter. And um, but not just that. Like, I, it's like I'm surprised this woman went through such great lengths. And I guess I'm not someone who collects antiques, but. Um, I'm just trying to sell like garbage pail kids <laughs> or just at least get something for them, which I don't even know if it's going to happen, but I was so jealous this years ago. I watched the show. I actually did like a pilot thing for Fox with, uh, this, if you ever seen it, the strangest, like, not, oh, strange inheritance, strange inheritance. Yeah, yeah, I, I keep, I'm that. thinking of strange that addiction, was, but that yeah, was on Fox business. That was a very, I don't know if it's still on, but I know when it first debuted, that was a very popular show. People it, were really into that. Well, it was really popular and it, it, it got decent ratings for them. And that's why they were trying to do an after show, which was what I was a mm-hmm. part of. And we were talking about a guy who found a baseball card that was worth $3 million. Yeah. And he didn't even know. He just, See, that's nuts. That's crazy. I know. And Eric has so many Baseball cards. But you know what I found? And I have a lot of friends that are really into uh, baseball card collection, collecting. And I have a lot of old baseball cards, too. But the, I found that they really, in order to fetch a nice, nice uh, chunk of change, they have to be in really pristine condition. Yeah. You know, if, if it's mint or near mint, then you can get whatever the purported value of the card is. But if it's anything less than that... It's very difficult to get someone that's willing to pay for that. I know. I know. It's it's true. But um, I just think that, you know, how old could that baseball card really be? And this right. head was like 2,000 years old. I, she had to – she would have gotten something decent for it. I, mean, I don't know. If what she, do you think you get for a, a <laughs> Roman head? First of all, I, I, I can't even pretend to know what the value in right. any of neither these can, things are, including the baseball card. Right. So who knows? But I just feel like a baseball card versus some ancient – not really ancient, but no, it was ancient. Literally, kind of, yeah, ancient. yeah, kind of. Okay, yeah, so it's first ancient. century, absolutely. Okay, moving on, Curtis. Yes, I heard all this hubbub about Curtis making you fun of you. Should have seen the clips that we didn't play. <laughs> uh, well, I seen or heard. 
well, I guess you should have seen. Look, look here. You can now see the list of clips that we didn't play. Look, okay. look at that. See, they're all listed there. But you should have heard the clips that we didn't play. Yes, okay. I suppose that's the so literal truth. I think that Curtis is like in love with you or something, I agree. and that's why he and he I shows agree. his love through like hating on you. Absolutely. Um. So that's number one, and I say that because. Uh, so much of my comedy has come from my mother, mm-hmm. which <laughs> which I showcased on my social media today um, about all the so many jokes. Have, I, I actually didn't even get through all the jokes that I have made about her. <laughs> um, but I think that um, also Curtis might also be a little bit irritable because he's been wearing the same outfit for 40 years. This is true. And I don't think that if he went, <laughs> went out in public without those clothes – Anyone would recognize him, and I think he knows that. Uh, no, I think I think a hundred percent true. In fact, a couple of times I've seen him need to be in disguise, and all he does is take off his beret and jacket. Really simple as that. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Um, how was your Mother's Day? Um, it was it was it was quiet. Uh, my mom was at my house, and my dad, and we just kind of were home. The, the weather was terrible. Yeah, it was rough. And um, not a day for outdoor picnics, believe uh, me. Definitely not. And yesterday was worse. But we had a derby party. Uh, oh, fun on Saturday. At a, yeah, at a na- neighbor's house. So like, did you wear one of those whacked out hats? I wore a fascinator, which what, is what's a fascinator? It sounds fascinating. <laughs> it's not, but it um it, it just fastens to your head. It's a little less than a hat, a little more than a headband. Uh, okay. Or a little more than a barrette, I should say. Now, do you guys, when you have one of these derby parties, do you have the, uh, do you have like, betting on the... Okay, so there are people that do. I am not part of anything that has to do with the horses whatsoever. I, I am strictly there to socialize and well, do drink, you, uh, really. Do you do the mint juleps or do you do something else? No, I just do the thing I always drink. So it's just an excuse. Although it is kind of minty because it has a, it's, um, it's a cucumber mint vodka drink. Ah, yeah, but I had that. Certainly... I had that. That was good. That was very refreshing. Oh, I gave that to you. Yeah, yeah that's right. It was right. delightful. Uh, but you got to go with the mint julep if, mm. you, if it's Derby Day. But, um, but yeah, I, I'm. you know, that's the thing with the Kentucky Derby is I've been at places where you go somewhere for a Derby party. The race is, you know, what, 45 seconds or, you know, right? Well, how long is it? They call it the most exciting 55 seconds Something in sports, whatever. Like but, I mean, it is a little anticlimactic. I mean, all this hubbub and planning your whole day and your special outfits and special drinks – all around, you know, less than a minute. But it really it's probably is exciting for people who have um, a lot riding on it. Yeah. Think about it. Think about the people who have a lot of money oh, no doubt. invested. And they, it, 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 there is a whole lot of hoopla around those 50 seconds or whatever it is. I don't like horse racing. I find it boring. I'm not a big gambler. We know this. So I'm more about um, just... It's it's like it's almost like the um, the tailgating is more exciting than the concert. I, I get that. I get, I get I get I get all that. Uh, last I saw you in person, you were poised to leave for the Sunshine State of yes. Florida. How did that go? You're looking tan, rested, and ready. Well, it was great. We went to Marco Island, and I had never been there before. Um, and I had the funniest thing happen to me while we were down there. Uh, so you know um, that you know. I was obviously born Marlena, but my uh, I identify as Quarantina, right? right? Exactly. Okay, She's so your alter ego. And there you go. And during uh, the first part of COVID, she came to life, and we did these funny videos. My daughter and I, uh, my one daughter and I, and um, you know, I didn't think it would last much past that. But however, that is not true. So let me backtrack. Before spring break, probably about two months before spring break, I was getting my nails done. I'm sitting there. I overhear a woman talking to her nail person. Now, 
Frank, you may not know this, but I have a very bad back. I have yeah. lower lumbar spinal stenosis. Okay. And now I'm told I have the back of a much, much, much older person. Is that because of all your crazy working out or is it genetic or is it something else? It's all of the above. Okay. okay. So, um, and, but people are like, the doctors have been shocked by how like old my lower back is. Fine. Um, and it wasn't until I was sitting near this woman whose back was to me the entire time. I never saw her face. Um, I realized how old my back is. Anyway, she says to the, her lady, I had an MRI, you know, and she goes, lower lumbar spinal stenosis. She was from your part of the world, right? <laughs> I know this because her daughter called, right? And her daughter wants her to get shots in the back. I heard the whole conversation. She's talking about, you know, her daughter called. She's like, that was my daughter on Staten Island. And she was talking about her granddaughter lives on the Upper West Side, you know, she used to live with some girls, but now she's on her own. And I, the life story went on and on. I was more horrified by the fact that I had the back of this much, much, much <laughs> older person who has a granddaughter on the Upper West Side. Fine. I start repeating this story continuously everywhere I go to, like, everyone I talk to. And In, in Florida now? No. This okay. is still, still Jersey. in Jersey. Okay. Now, I, my daughter, my older daughter, Rebel, is hearing me. And so one day she starts imitating the whole Lowa Lomba <laughs> spinal stenosis, which was the entire um, inspiration for the, the last video that we did, which was called Rebuild My Back Better. <laughs> um, not to be confused with Biden's Build Back Better, because this video was better than that. And um, so I played the, you know, Quarantina and my daughter played Quarantina, my daughter, and it went on and on. And Loa Lumbaugh spinal stenosis was the center of this entire thing. Now let's get to spring break. I'm on the beach. I'm hanging out. Now there are local people from Jersey on the beach too. We all, we knew they were going to be there. Um, this woman, Doreen, um, who, uh, <laughs> who has a place down there, her mother came midweek and, and was on the beach when we got there um, one day, and I'm talking to her. And as the conversation is going, she, you know, she tells me where she lives, and we start talking about New York. And she asked me where I used to live in New York. I said Upper West Side, and she said, "My granddaughter lives on the Upper West Side." <laughs> it was the same lady that she was talking to on the phone. It was the same woman that whose back was oh, to me in this goodness. now place. I said. As soon as I heard her say that, I kind of turned and was like, do you have another daughter? Because her one daughter, Doreen, is right. here. Uh, yeah, I have three daughters. Is it, does one still live on Staten Island? Yes. Doreen comes back to, from wherever she was, and I ask her, does your mother go to this now place? Yes. Does she have lower oh lumbar spinal? Yes. I met the woman who inspired the, the anonymous woman who inspired the entire video. Oh, that's crazy. That's something out of a movie. It's right. It's something out of Seinfeld, really. Yeah, in no the end. doubt. So um, I'm laughing. We're laughing about this. Now, Rebel comes by and I tell her what what has just happened. And now the mother's sort of like about seven feet away from us and her eyes are closed. And um, it, I tell Rebel and she goes immediately out of the gate i have lower lumbar spinal stenosis and the woman this 81 year old woman pops her head up and goes i have that and we're like <laughs> we know <laughs> that's great. that's hysterical 
That's Isn't hysterical. It? Um, I thought it was well, hilarious. Again, I guess the big loser in this whole situation is you, and that you still have the back of an eighty-one-year-old. Uh-huh. But uh, if you're going, if you're going to have a good sense of humor about it, I think that's, uh, I think that's pretty good. So that was uh, maybe spring- the next one will be called the Tale of Two Lumbars. <laughs> so, uh, but how was Florida overall? Did, were you impressed by the freedom and everything that everybody seems to be enjoying down there? <laughs> well, oddly enough, I feel like where I live now, it's like a bubble of Florida, right? Because we, we we've had so many liberties beyond what other people had right. early on but yeah i mean it, it was great i mean it was it was beautiful and i have to say i would go back to that part of florida um it was uh it was easy and is that one of those places where you just go to the beach every day that is that the activity du jour yeah now you can do other things i mean you could go you could rent a boat this is the scary thing actually you can rent a boat you don't need a boating license oh that is scary uh, yeah it's very scary and <laughs> so then... much for freedom you can keep it <laughs> Um, but, um, but you live in a beach community. Yes, so in New Jersey. Is it that much of a novelty to go to Florida beaches and enjoy the – is it that much better? I mean, I guess the weather's better. Well, I guess it's sort of like asking you, a gambler, is it that much better to go to Atlantic City versus an Indian reservation casino? Right, right. So it's like if you're a beach person. Gotcha, gotcha. You're a beach person. Gotcha. So. I, yeah, well, I, I guess that makes sense. Now, uh, hey, speaking of the COVID front, this is a story that um, – my friend uh, Joe Borelli was uh, involved in, right. and uh, he is, has been, you know, on the radio with us several times previously. Evidently, the, he and some other politicians are claiming that um, schools are banning or prohibiting unvaccinated teenagers from attending proms, but right. the city is denying this. Right. The city's denying it. Um, they, you know, Eric Adams' office said that, yes, it is ludicrous and completely hypocritical to have all of these students in school together every day, vaccinated, unvaccinated, unmasked. Every All of these restrictions have been lifted, even in restaurants and any other venues you would socialize at. So why would these kids be banned from prom? So it sounded okay, but the DOE um, hasn't changed um this information on their site and i guess the big complaint was that prom tickets have already been sold and this is like a bit of a debacle although it seems like it could be like undone a little bit um but why but why but why 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 is it so difficult to get the doe to do anything in a timely fashion is is the bigger question but so if if the mayor is claiming these kids aren't banned but are they really banned i mean i guess they're banned you know, I, I I was wondering that myself. I guess that's a question for Joe Borelli at right. this point. Okay. Well, I will pose. I do uh, correspond with him from time to time. I will yeah. uh, uh, ask him about that the next time that he comes over for ping pong. Um, <laughs> we are pretty much back to some semblance of normal uh, at the moment, but they are apparently leaving the door open to bringing back all these restrictions that we've been dealing with in New York, indoor masks and uh, vaccine requirements. And everything like that. I mean, you don't seem concerned with the uptick in cases or even the uptick in hospitalizations, though, right? And we and you you would be a staunch opponent of bringing back any of these restrictions. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, considering that I was I stopped, you know, even adhering to any of this six mm. weeks in to it. Yeah, I would be. It, it doesn't make any any sense whatsoever, and especially in the schools. <laughs> They had two COVID cases in my school. I'm like, but we're still counting cases. People right. are still uh, testing. I don't even understand what's happening. And before um, these restrictions were dropped, it was if someone had, uh, if a student had 
you know, COVID in the class, they would have the whole class stay home for two weeks and do remote learning and all of these things. Now it's just an email, you know, which hasn't come for months, but it was like, oh, you know, a student has tested positive. Be vigilant. Watch your kid's health as if you don't do that on a regular basis anyway. So, yeah, I mean, I, I hope not. I mean, if that's, if that's, kicks up again you have no idea well one of the one of the people that it well one of the aspects of new york getting back to normal that we have seen is with everybody going to restaurants again people starting to come back to work again is we've seen a tremendous comeback of the new york city rat so evidently these rats are everywhere and the rats are back to pre-pandemic levels thankfully so i guess uh, the, the people that were concerned that New York would never come back, at least as far as the rats are concerned, we're back to normal. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah. There, so I guess apparently um, human behavior informs rat behavior or is it just that there's um, more people out and about noticing the rats that have always been there? They're saying there's an uptick of like 60 <laughs> percent well, of, of rats. I believe in that, don't you? Because, I mean, so much of, I would think, what draws the rats are the food, the, the garbage that's at the restaurants. And if there's more robust activity at restaurants, more people going there and more food being discarded, it would see, stand to reason that I would think there'd be a similar proportion of rat uptick absolutely and there's yeah and there's more trash and we've always seen this type of you know an uptick in sightings of rats i'll say i'm sure the rats still existed but the sightings of rats when the the warm weather comes out it's like the roaches it's like all of a sudden the rats are visible during the day because they're rummaging through all the burning trash on the street do you get freaked out by seeing these rats um Mm, not really. They don't really like people. They run right. away from people. Right. You know, they're really you, looking for food. You know, I, I've no, I, I agree with you. But, you know, it's funny. I w- used to take the subway late at night and I would, you know, which is more dangerous than the rats. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you'd see these rats in these subway terminals and the subway comes so much less frequently at one thirty to two thirty, three o'clock in the morning. And that means you end up seeing a lot of people that fall asleep waiting for their Oh, I know. And so one time uh, I see this big rat. I mean, this rat looks like the size of a small dog. And a guy falls asleep on, uh, you know, waiting for his train, I guess. He didn't look homeless or anything. One of the few people that wasn't. And uh, he's sleeping there in the subway. And he wakes up to see this rat, like, you know, dancing around near his feet. And the guy was startled, you know, into immediate alertness. And all I could think of is how I would have been totally freaked out. I don't get freaked out easily. But if I was sound asleep and looked down and saw rats running around. And again, I know they're not going to really do anything for the most part. But rats running around on my feet, I would be freaked out with a capital F and a no. I mean, I would be freaked out that I fell asleep in a subway. I mean, (laughs) that that would be even scarier. But no, that that would be disgusting. I can't (sighs) deal with that. But just seeing them in a distance, roaches are worse because they have no boundaries. No boundaries, those those things. But, um, you know, I actually, back to Curtis for a second, Mm. I feel like he should have talked about how he would eradicate the 
or at least control the rat population in New York when he was running for mayor. Maybe it would have given him a couple extra votes. You know, I, I think that's actually not a bad uh, piece of criticism. Uh, that is, uh, I think that's a, a valid concern because everybody knows the rat problem is something that nobody seems to seems to have. I think. Well, and Eric also, Adams, wait, and Curtis actually probably is contributing contributing to the rat oh, problem no question about it. because he's hoarding all the cats in new york if there were more police from his apartment they <laughs> might true. run the, the rats out eric adams had a weird plan for fighting rats where he wanted to drown all the rats do you remember that he um, wanted to drown the rats do you, do you, and where were we drowning these rats I, no I, I actually think i missed that one where yeah, were we drowning this them? was before he was a mayoral candidate i think he wanted to drown them on, I don't remember the details of his plan. It never. This was one of those plans that uh, it sounded like he was just kind of spitballing, yeah. and it never really got off the ground. Shockingly, uh, 800-848-9222 If you want to uh, talk with Marlena Shivo and me, by the way, um, you alluded to joking around about your mom on yeah. social media. I did. Um, tell us about this this piece of audio we're about to to hear. What is this? Oh. So um, my mother just says the wildest things. I mean, there are things that I probably couldn't say on here. I actually don't know. Maybe I could say them because they're not necessarily curse, curses, but they're – she's saying things that she doesn't even realize what she's saying. But this particular thing that I think you're about to play um, is about my mother taking the bus to New York. Now, it has to be mentioned my mother hates New York City. When ah. I, I lived here for 15 years, she loathed it, couldn't stand coming here. However – she had no problems getting on a bus to come here. Like she would refuse to drive here, refuse to drive here, but she would get on a bus. Right, which from Jersey is a lot more cumbersome. And it's just and, – and it's a little sketchy at times. Gotcha, gotcha. So, All right. This yeah. is what you can find on uh, Marlena's Instagram. If you want to follow Marlena on any form of social media, you could just search her at Marlena Shivo, S-C-H-I-A-V-O. Here, my mom actually – does like hates coming actually being in the city, but will take a bus to get here and is fine with it. I don't want her on the bus. I think there's sketchy people on the bus. So anyway, one of these times she comes up, she she gets in my apartment and she opens up her handbag and she takes out a tin flounder in it. <laughs> and I'm like, you took fish on the bus? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, you probably smelled like fish. She's like, no, I didn't. I'm like, how do you know? She's like, because I asked the guy next to me, do you smell fish? (laughs) And he said no. And she goes, oh, good, because I have fish in my bag. (laughs) Like, she's the freak on the bus. (laughs) She's the freak. Does your mom ever get irked that you use her as a source of material? Not at all. No. She seems that like the same way you don't get irked at Curtis for making fun of you. Um, I feel like she's the same way. I think she enjoys it, actually. But I, I feel like even when I'm not trying to be – I'm never trying to hurt anyone's feelings. But I feel like when I mention my mom, she still is very sensitive about me poking fun at her. She She doesn't like it. But your mom – is not bothered by it. No, she's not bothered by it at all. She has a really good sense of humor. Yes. Um, and she's a really good source of humor. I mean, the stuff that comes out of that woman's mouth that she doesn't even realize she's saying. There, I went on and on. She talks about – she doesn't understand her phone. She doesn't understand um, 
what generation I'm from. She called me a millennium. That's not even the right I word. I love that term. The millennium. I love when they say the, the millenniums. I love it. I want to say it. But, but, uh, <laughs> but, no, but they're millennials. I know, but it's so funny it's, to say millenniums. I think it's great. <laughs> I love it. What, you're Gen X? I am Gen X. All right. Uh, we're going to uh, give somebody, whatever generation they come from, a chance to win $1,000 if they can be the seventh. Oh, actually, no. We have a, a contestant because he called in on Friday. Oh, he didn't want to opt in. All right. So what happened, Philippe? Jump jump on. Tell me tell me what happened here. So what happened was we had a contestant Friday, and then we gave Sid Rosenberg the opportunity to compete. Sid did not really distinguish himself. And um, I said, oh, that guy that you selected – We'll have him play on Monday, and you're now shaking your head no. What happened? No, he was intimidated by Sid's intelligence and opted out. He just said it's not worth it for uh, to wait. I see. Okay. All right. So that means uh, that guy's loss is your potential gain. If you want to be the seventh caller now to 800-848-9222, uh, we'll give you an opportunity to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds, and we'll continue for the hour with uh, Marlena Shiva. We'll uh, chat about some other unusual Mother's Day stuff and – Couches, if you can believe that. 800-848-9222. Seventh caller, you'll get to play the $1,000 Minute straight ahead. I'm the biggest rat that eats Parmesan cheese. We always try to play uh, Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons in her honor whenever she's here. And um, we have a rare treat as we give one listener the opportunity to see if they can answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. We're going to see how well Marlena does uh, on the, uh, you know, I mean, she's going to write down her answers. And we'll see if she can do any better than Sid Rosenberg did on Friday. Sid, unfortunately, ran out of time. And by his own admission, he got very nervous afterwards. So uh, hopefully, hopefully that doesn't happen to the person that is playing today. The other side of midnight presents. It's the thousand dollar minute. Answer ten questions correctly in one minute, and you could win one thousand dollars. Here's your host, Frank. Murano. Let's meet today's contestant, Allison in Bayside. Hello, Allison. Hi, Frank. I'm so nervous. Oh, see, that's the thing. You got to relax because Sid didn't even know Jill Biden's name on Friday when, of course, he knows Jill Biden's name. And Sid is on the radio for four hours a day at least. And so he still got nervous. There's no need to be nervous. No need to be nervous. Uh, So just just chill out. Chill out. I can promise you I'm looking at these questions now. Eight of them are super easy. So you, the only one that's kind of tricky is the ninth one. You're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. I hope so. All right. I go. never thought I'd get to be number seven. Too. Well, wonderful. See, yeah, see, it goes to show. The contest isn't fixed. We have uh, we, we run an honest shop here. All right. You ready to go? Sure. Okay. So the con- uh-huh. relax. Relax, Al. It's all good. It's all good. Okay. Wor- worst comes to worst, you get a free shirt or something. 
Uh, so you're you're already a winner. Now, um, the timer is going to begin after I ask the first question. And then if you get a question um, right, we're just going to move on to the next one so that we can try and make our way through all 10 of these. Okay. Okay. All right. Name a dinosaur. Dino. What's the first name of Donald Trump's current wife? Melania. What color is created by mixing the colors red and blue? Green? Uh, no, unfortunately, um, it's purple. Purple. Um, purple? Purple. Oh. Yeah, uh, green would be blue and yellow. Blue. Oh no! But that's okay. That's okay. Uh, you're not colorblind, are you? We could you could play the colorblindness card. Are you colorblind? No. No. Okay. All right. We can't play no. the colorblindness. All right. Well, Allison, play- that's okay. It's okay. You still are the proud recipient of a the other side of midnight with Frank Morano T-shirt, which uh, is is pretty neat. I must say, I just ordered one myself. Cool. All right. Oh, great. So I'm going to I'm going to put you on hold. Fortunately, they're not purple, so you don't have to worry about trying to figure out how they came to be. I get a, I better learn all the color things now. I feel terrible. I would uh, like to have known what would be the next question. All right, well, hey, I'll, I'll put I'll, I'll put you on hold cuz I'm going to see if Marlena could have bested you, okay? Okay. All right, you'll hear Good. the rest of them. Okay. Now, um you got all of them right, correct? Yeah, okay, we'll put put Marlena's mic on if you would. Yeah. Yes, so, I got the first three right okay. so far. So there were 23 seconds on the clock. So we're <laughs> going to see if you could. Now, you're not eligible to win I know. the prize, but we're going to just see how well you would have done. Okay. 23 seconds on the clock. Who first discovered gravity? Just shout it out. Who first discovered gravity? I don't want to play this game anymore. <laughs> Come on, the apple. What's that? The apple falling down from the tree. Oh. I can't. Oh, my God. Now I'm drawing a blank. See, when it's somebody else, I can answer these questions. All right, what's number five? Um, <laughs> uh, number five? I, I mean, uh, what country is directly to the south of the United States? Seriously? Really? Yeah, exactly. Okay, South America. No, that's a <laughs> continent. It's Mexico. Oh yeah, 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 right. Oh, uh, this is this is this is not meant to be this difficult. So it was Sir Isaac Newton that discovered gravity. Oh right, yes, you, yes, I do know that. Yeah. Yes, okay. Um, I still right. want the other questions. No, too, oh, too bad. I'll, I'll give them to you off air. I'm not wasting questions on on, on, <gasps> on you. No, well, because I can use them tomorrow. If that oh, means, you I know. see. I see. I I'll, see. I'll, I'll give them to you off air. All right. Oh, okay, that was um. Painful. That yeah, uh, painful for everybody. By the way, have you ordered? I, 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 you know what? I have been. I have. I have trivia phobia. I do. I, I was. On, see, I, I was can on, see why. I was on Double Dare when I was in um, sixth grade, and I lost. And ever since then, I mean, I think it's traumatized me for life that I just cannot answer questions on the spot that I could otherwise answer. Yeah. Well, no, it is tough. It is tough. Like uh, I, I feel like I could beat Bernie if I wasn't. On the radio. On the radio. Yeah, or participating in the game. Correct. Right? If you had like a separate test, right? <laughs> the two of you guys were taking tests. Right. Fair enough. I can see that. All right. A uh, couple of things I want to ask you before uh, before we run out of time today. Um, you, when you arrive here at the radio station, you not only text but email me that um, 
that you're here. Oh, God, where is this going? Yes, that is correct. But isn't there a phone number outside that says call such and such and alert them if you arrive off hours? I mean, no, no there's not. OK, all right. So I guess that's uh, is what it is. Let me get your take on this real quick. Uh, by the way, where are you on the Elon Musk takeover of Twitter? I'm fine with it. I yeah. couldn't care less who owns Twitter. I think all social media is just a cesspool anyway. I don't care. It doesn't matter. It's, it'll be biased no matter what. Are you someone that thinks, just so folks know where you're coming from, that the um, Jeffrey Epstein death was suspicious or you think he just killed himself? Oh, oh, I think that he did not kill himself. I've, I've always do said that. Do you think that. he was murdered? I do. Okay. Let me read you this tweet that Elon Musk sent out yesterday. Did you hear about this? No. Okay. So he has set the internet on fire with a cryptic tweet about dying under mysterious circumstances. This is what he tweeted. And I, I think it's just a joke. But it will be interesting if he ends up like uh, that uh, the virus guy, you know, who ended up dead mm -hmm. supposedly of suicide after saying that it's not a suicide. This is what he said. If I die under mysterious circumstances, it's been nice knowing you. What do you think? Just a joke here or is he really trying to uh, – does he think that there might be forces out to, to – I think both. I think it's just a joke and him. I do think that there, it, he thinks people are out to get him. He does have enemies. Mm -hmm. I mean, people have decided that they're not going to be on Twitter anymore because he, he's taking over. Um, I'm pretty sure Bill Gates can't stand him, right? I mean, he completely mocked him. Did you see what he I did. did? I did. That was pretty funny. That was, that was, that was really funny. Um, you know, he, yeah, but I think he's joking. You think he's joking? I think he's absolutely joking. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, but a lot of people were very, were very frightened about that. And that's, the internet's now a buzz about it. All right. Okay. Uh, so a year ago on Mother's Day, Elon Musk hosted Saturday Night Live, mm -hmm. you know, um, Saturday Night Live, uh, one of the people, many, one of the many actors over the years that has played Joe Biden has been Jim Carrey. Yeah. Now, Jim Carrey is responding to a conspiracy theory that he's actually impersonating a dead Joe Biden. Now, I go along with a lot of conspiracy theories. This is one that I have a tough time with. Uh, that Are they actually suggesting that they're doing a weekend at Bernie's? Yeah, Basically, well, this one Biden's? woman is. So there was, the, you know, there's that duo, um, the uh, the Good Liars. You know who they are? They're, no, no, they're, fool me they're like a comedy duo. So they they kind of got popular during um, Occupy Wall Street, where they were like posing as, you know, like the one percenters or whatever. So then um, they started showing up at things, uh, posing as whatever it is, a journalist or you know, whatever, uh, kind of like a Borat thing, right? And so. Anyway, they're, they were doing an interview. One of them was doing an interview, Jason Selvig, and he was just interviewing civilians. And this woman did say that she's seriously is seriously saying that Biden is dead and that he is being um, impersonated by two actors, one of them being Jim Carrey, the other one being James Woods. And he actually had her repeat it and she did not waver on that whatsoever. So she's serious about it. Yeah, dead serious. Now, and what sense does that literally make? Dead James Woods um, is a, a Biden critic. Why would he go along with a conspiracy to fool the public do on you, behalf of Biden? Do you actually think that um, she thought this through <laughs> thoroughly? I mean, you're asking a question that I'm sure she can't answer. 
Um, or she could answer in, in an even more silly way. But Jim Carrey, he like I love how Forbes really, you know, built this story up. Yeah. All he said was, oh, my, which, by the way, is the best response because it doesn't even need a response. Because right, right. if you even try to explain it, then you're just playing into the stupidity. Or I should say um, these people are limited. Uh, that would be the PC. I, I think you were <laughs> right on track the first time. Version. Hey, um, yesterday, as we mentioned, was Mother's Day. You celebrated with your daughters and your mom. Yeah. Are your daughters at a point where they're making you things, where the where your husband buys something from them, or do they have money, they go out and buy stuff? What, what do they do? <laughs> no, okay, my kids are eight and five. They're not going out and buying things. Um, they're making things, and it's adorable. I, I like. I love, because the, the school actually takes over um, this role for all the kids, you know? And so, um, you get, you know, homemade cards and everything. And then they do questionnaires for the little ones. And I actually posted when, when rebel was five, she, she said that I was uh, 30,000 pounds. They asked how much, you know, how much is mom weigh? I'm 30,000. You wear it well. (laughs) And, um, um, and she did say my, my favorite show was Bill Maher, which, which she was on point with that. Um, oh, but she also said my favorite store was CVS. And it was just the, the answers are so funny. Right, funny. So yeah. um, Harley um, gave one funny answer. Um, and the rest were just cute. But she said that my jo- they asked what my job was and it was to clean the table. At home? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's my job. That's well, what I do. That's my career. I clean the table. It's just funny. Well, everything is there very clean at your house. So I think you're doing a great job. You know. <laughs> um, I should get a raise. <laughs> The Huffington Post had a list of some very unusual Mother's Day gifts. Yeah, and I actually, yeah, and some of them are so goofy, and I'm going to point, there were 17 to be exact, but some of them weren't that interesting, but I I pulled a few that were. Okay, so, Let's hear about it. But these are, these are supposed to come from older children, adult children, because the first one was a flower vase bong, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's uh-huh. a bong that's shaped like a flower vase. Um. This next one, I feel, should be listed under Father's Day gifts. It's a fart-filtering underwear. Oh, my. Yeah. Well, I so. guess, you know, women can be equally op- equal opportunity flatulent as well. Yeah, I guess. Um, but you're yes. right. That is a traditionally male gift. I yeah. Think. I think, yeah. Um, burrito pop. What is a burrito? Exactly, pop? and and no one needs this. It's it, that, but it's um, if you're eating a burrito, it actually looks like a mug. <laughs> but it's it, or you know one of those yeti cups and so you turn the bottom and the burrito slowly comes up so that it stays together and you don't make a mess. Oh, well, that's actually I could see the value in that. I could see you using Me that. Too. Again, Me these too, are actually. Father's Day gifts. I mean, women don't have problems with burritos. They they would just, you know, take a fork. That's right. You know. All right. So, um this one is funny it's um a gold plated macaroni necklace so instead of the traditional macaroni which is nostalgic right but then the gold you know it's not unstable market yes absolutely (laughs) i actually gave my mom some gold i bought a little bit of gold and silver and you see the price i gave my wife some gold on behalf of uh did she mock you no my mother was mocking me why was she mocking you is she because she, she said she's like what am i gonna do with it well I'm like first of all all you keep saying is i don't want anything i don't want anything right so i already gave her a, bra- a bracelet um at christmas and another thing to go with that bracelet for her 70th i'm like so what you don't want anything i'm not gonna buy you a handbag like what am i gonna buy right. you clothes you're gonna re- it's 
not going to happen. So I'm like, I'll buy you something that has value that doesn't take up a lot of space and you'll have it. Um, and she goes, yeah, I'm going to put it in a safety deposit box and then it's going to become yours. And I'm like, perfect. Okay, great. So the value just went up that much more. I'm going to keep buying. It's a hedge like, against inflation. <laughs> it is a hedge against inflation. Absolutely. But I was like, you know what? Um, I was like, buckle up. There's more in the future because <laughs> I am at a loss for what to buy my mother. And I certainly wouldn't get her a macaroni necklace. A gold-plated macaroni necklace. Either. Yes. Um, a jacket for your legs, which otherwise, wouldn't you just call those pants? But You'd think so. But you know what? I like this because I feel like so often moms are cold. Yeah. But it's usually, up, it's usually right. not their legs. Right. It's usually like up top they're cold. Yeah. Uh, but this particular thing really is just a blanket that attaches around her legs, much like a burrito. <laughs> they bur- bur- it burritos mom's legs, so if she stands up to clap at your basketball game or your football game, I think these are it some won't good ideas here. Fall actually. off, okay? Well, enjoy your gold plated necklace. All right, uh, this I had to like Google and look at the video. A banana stuffer. Banana stuff. Right. Yeah. So it's like if you're it says if your mom is struggling, constantly struggling with stuffing bananas. I've, do you know what? Have you ever stuffed a banana? No, what do you put in there? Chocolate syrup or something? Or- yeah, I get. Well, Nutella, I guess. peanut oh. butter. But I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know how else you would. I would just cut up a banana and dip it. Wouldn't you like? I, I would think so. Yeah. But no. Behold, there's a device that it has like a four step process. Of stuffing a banana. I love this, actually. This is right up my... My kitchen is filled with devices that have these very narrow uses, and it it drives Rachel crazy. She would hate this, but I would like this. Oh, I would Marie Kondo... I would use it once Marie Kondo all the way with this guy. Oh, you don't even want to know. You need organizing. But anyway, those were the the top picks of weird uh, gifts that I would never want. Speaking of Marie Kondo, uh, I want to ask you about this story out of uh, the UK. Evidently, I think it was the UK, a woman Mm -hmm. was mortified to learn the history of her couch. Uh, She was thrilled by her new Facebook marketplace feature. That's like a virtual garage sale if people Mm. don't have Facebook. A circular sofa that appeared to be perfect for entertaining then she learned of its former purpose. What happened? What was so salacious? <laughs> so, so she gets on social media to like showcase her new um, bargain sofa, which she got at a good price. Apparently, she only paid somewhere of five hundred pounds because she's in the UK, and um, she it was you know has like a three thousand dollar value apparently. But um, apparently, this was a couch used by swingers and there oh. were people responding on social media saying you really should get your couch clean. But I would think that if you were going to go and buy a used couch in any circumstance, you would have it cleaned anyway. I, I would so. Yeah. It's a goofy story, but I think my biggest problem with the story was that the couch didn't even fit the space properly. Ah, uh, see, I knew you were going to have, it a... went wall to wall. Like who wants a couch that touches both walls? A different. <laughs> That's true. Uh, That's true. Oh, by the way, um, there's an interesting response to that Elon Musk tweet that I that I brought to your attention where okay. Elon Musk said, if I die under mysterious circumstances, it's been nice knowing you. That was retweeted seven hours ago by his mother mm. with a comment from May Musk. That's not funny. And two sad face emoticons. And uh, he did respond to his mother saying, sorry, I will do my best to stay alive. 
So there you have it. Hopefully that'll put an end to the uh, to at least some of the controversy here on this one. But we'll see. I, I certainly hope. I like. I mean, the mysterious Musk. circumstances wouldn't be so mysterious. It would be him going to Mars where there's no oxygen, and therefore he would not come back. I think you're right. Now, um, a, a lot of times, speaking of parenting, we see the job that some of these parents do in naming their children, and you think, who would ever do that to a child? What are some of the more unusual real-life names that certain children have been saddled with? Well, apparently one of them's Rebel, which is my child. Rebel and Harley. That's not that bad. You no. got Rebel Wilson. Well, it's not that bad is, is not exactly how I would characterize it. I mean, I love my ch- children's names. But no, you know, too. when you Absolutely. leave a place like New York City and then you go to a smaller place to live, um, these names where people are traditionally named other things that come out of a name book um, gets a gets a side look, um, but uh, this there's a there's a, in the UK once again. <laughs> the Mirror uh, talked about a story about a teacher being mortified by um, a student's name in her school. Do you want to guess what that name was? I can't. I can't even begin to fathom. Erotica. They named a do- a girl erotica. Yes, and I, I don't know, think that's and I don't, appropriate. It's you? not appropriate. No. no, and I don't know the age of the child. They didn't say the name. They didn't say the age or they didn't say like what level of school this woman taught why, at. Why did they stop there? Why didn't they just name her pornography? Yeah, well. Or stripper, right? I mean, that seems. Uh, right. I don't right. like that at all. That's a crazy, crazy, crazy thing to name your child. But hey, I mean, I know. Yeah, I don't know what to say. No, she needs a new name, like Tori or something. That that's that's no good. But to see now, this is the thing. Like we talk about, like freedom of choice and freedom of this and freedom of that. And um, someone commented that the 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 person at the hospital or shouldn't have um, allowed this woman to name her child this. But you know, no, I mean, I guess you have to, but uh, I don't like it. I don't like it. All right. No, not at all. Just take out the R O T, and you've got Erica. Yeah, well, that's a nice name. All right, we're going to wrap up with 15 seconds of fame in just a minute. Uh, Marlena Shivo is here, 800-848-9222. You can follow Marlena on all forms of social media at Marlena, S-C-H-I-A-V-O. Uh, she also has a website, but you don't. You haven't been keeping up on the website. You do most of your stuff on social media and Substack. Days, um, right? Well, yeah, but actually I just, I just, t- I just put my site right uh, back up again. Oh, you did? Okay. I did. Great. I did. Okay. So you can go to MarlenaShivo.com and uh, see some of the interesting things that are on there as well. Uh, 15 seconds of fame straight ahead. You can comment on anything you like. Four fifteen seconds, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Straight ahead. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano.
This is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Uh, coming up at uh, 5 a.m., you'll get to hear the 77 WABC early news. And then uh, from 6 to 10, it's the Bernie and Sid show featuring Rich Lowry, Bill Donahue from the Catholic League, and a fella who, I'm not sure if he's ever been on the radio before, but a fella named Curtis Sliwa, who's certainly anxious to get whatever airtime anybody is willing to give him. So that's coming up uh, from 6 until 10. I'm here with Marlena Schiavo, uh, chatting about the exciting things that we're doing today. You have a guy coming to the house today. (laughs) I I think we have a guy coming to paint our ceiling today, which is exciting. I think I have to install I have to reinstall the air conditioner into my son's room because it's starting to get hot again. Wow, that so that's was my day. Tw- 10 seconds of boredom. Same. But yep. um so listen, um I know this is going to fall on deaf ears, but um this Wi-Fi situation coming into the studio uh, I I'll, I'll I'll help you out <laughs> with that. I figured out a, a workaround. I I'll, I'll, I'll you're announcing you it live. <laughs> Yeah, and I'll help you with that. All right. Uh, Marlena Shivo, it's always a treat to have you. Thank you. Oh, Frank, it's always a treat to it's be cer- here. It certainly is. All right. Uh, 800-848-9222 if you want to be heard for 15 seconds. There are two open lines. Uh, follow Marlena on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Substack. Just search Marlena Shivo, whatever platform you're interested in, a whole world opens up. Believe me. All right. Uh, be heard for 15 seconds because it's time for... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. J9 is in Westchester. Hello, J9. Good morning, Frank. Colorado, Maryland, California, they all want to or have passed laws that allow them, that allow mothers to kill their children after they have been born. Oof, better stay out of Colorado. Rich is in East Meadow. Hello. Good morning. Elon Musk, you're 100% right. Keep your head on a swivel. You're in the deepest end of the swamp. It's thick, and they're out to get you. Thank you. 800-848-WABC. Mike in New Jersey. Good morning, Frank. Frank, I love Marlena. Next time she plays a $1,000 minute, though, maybe she could have Elaine Bennis come in and play the game for her. Ah, very <laughs> interesting. 800-848-9222. Neil on Staten Island. The Disinformation Bureau forced the Mets to change their theme song to bring your kiddies, bring your wives, guaranteed to bankrupt you for the rest of your life. Johnny in Brooklyn. No, that's Tommy in Brooklyn. Ah, Listen, sorry. I heard Biden was uh, Biden was trying some carpentry the other day. He cut the board twice, and it was still too short. But I'm bummed. 800-848-9222. Fred is in Yonkers. Hey, Frank, speaking of names... This Elon Musk names his kid Dark Sidereal. Is it me, or am I always reading an upside-down ketchup bottle? Arnold in Patterson. Yes, Wins Radio 1010 News All the Time is not true. One hour a year during Fourth of July fireworks at Macy's, they cover that with no news for an hour. Oh, well, thank you. Louie in the Bronx. Anthony and Edison. Uh, yes, good morning. Just keeping track of the calendar here. 183 days till the midterms. So we could somehow try to turn around this Biden disaster. And I think Elon Musk could hire Donald Trump to fire all those Twitter idiots that he wants to get rid of. Tell them you're fired. And finally, Russell in White Plains. Hello, Russell. Hey, Frank. I wish you had asked Marlena about the Rose situation and whether the capital should be stormed and Carmine looked great on his debut 
Except keep John Tobacco away from him. Andrew Giuliani looked like he carried his kid like a sack of groceries. Uh, well, you know, uh, th- thank you. By the way, yeah, if you missed uh, my son's television debut, he was on uh, Saturday night on a show called Wise Guys. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna put a link out on Facebook. He's only on for a second, but uh, if, I mean, look, you're not exactly asking an objective source, but I think he 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 did pretty well. I thought he had a very keen sense of comedic timing. I don't want to give anything away, but I'll I'll post the video at Facebook.com/slash/MoranoFan. But essentially, it's a conservative show, and um, the host asks Carmine what you think, what he thinks of Joe Biden, and Carmine instantly starts crying. <laughs> it was pretty funny. It, he really did have a a very keen sense of timing. Uh, I'll put it on Twitter as well at Frank Morano. If you want to email me, you can do so Frank Morano at WABC Radio.com. That's Frank at WABC Radio.com. Coming up tomorrow, I'm going to be joined by, uh, we've got a lot of things that we're working on for tomorrow, but one of the guests that is confirmed for tomorrow is retired INS agent Michael Cutler. We're going to talk about the country that is directly to the south of the United States, except according to uh, Marlena, uh, that is Mexico and uh, the border situation there. It's certainly going to be interesting. All right. Uh, the WABC Early News is next, followed by Bernie and Sid featuring Curtis Lewa, Rich Lowry, and uh, Bill Donahue of the Catholic League. Uh, you can stay in touch with me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Morano fan. Until uh, tomorrow at 1 a.m., Frank Morano, good day.